I'm author and critic David Agronoff. I'm a horror and science fiction author, critic, and researcher. In this podcast, I wanted to provide in-depth interviews and panel discussions with everyone from New York Times bestselling authors to researchers, musicians, and anyone I find interesting. Welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. Welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. I have a very special panel for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the work of Barry N. Maltzberg um, and about 30,000 other names of pseudonyms and pen names that he wrote under, but mostly the ones under his name are the one. I mean, basically all the pseudonyms have been um, exposed uh, at this point. Uh, but so we'll, we're going to be talking about Barry Maltzberg, Mary, Barry Maltzberg. The reason, one of the reasons why we're going to be talking about him, in my opinion, is that, and I've interviewed Barry before on the Dickheads podcast. I've interviewed, uh, both these fellows uh, have been on Dickheads podcast with me before, but this is the first time they've been on, uh, postcards with me. So I will introduce them in a second. But the reason why we're talking about Barry Maltzberg is because, there's plenty of studies about J.G. Ballard and Le Guin and PKD. Um, and, you know, some of us are writing those. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's not enough said about Barry Maltzberg. And Barry Maltzberg is one of the most punk rock, middle finger in the air science fiction writers you will ever read from the new wave. Uh, but he comes at a special time uh, because he has, well, I, I'll get into that later. Anyways, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. My guests today include, um, in his special interview hat, D. Harlan Wilson. David Harlan Wilson is the author of this study on J.G. Ballard, as we were just talking about it. Uh, one of the best uh, nonfiction books I read this year. And I picked a few of my favorites, uh, his recent book of plays, and uh, the That's underrated Blankety Blank. Thank you. Um, That's 20 years old or something. Yeah, it's very old. This is, this, this is an advanced reader copy. Oh, my way. gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and uh, uh, of course, from that era, I also love Dr. Identity, but I lent that book to somebody who refused to give it back to me, so I don't have it anymore. Well, I'll send you a, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> well, um, that is also my wife's favorite science fiction book, not by Philip K. Dix. So um, yeah. let's. Uh, uh, Heavily influenced by Philip K. Dick was. Yeah, Dr. she's a tough critic, by the way. She does not like science fiction. So she but she really loved that book. Uh, James Reich is the publisher at Stocking Horse Press and the author of. And I got I picked two of his books out here too, Soft Invasions and my favorite, The Song My Enemies Sing, which uh this this book in particular uh for fans published by Anti-Oedipus Press. Thank you. Yeah, published by the man down there. Okay. Um that well, both of these were. Um yeah. the thing about uh the song my enemies sing is that it lives in a surreal Marscape that you will recognize from reading lots of old school science fiction. It's one of the things I loved about it. It's really good. And, and highly so, literary and intelligent. Uh, yeah. and, and who else's name is on the cover? 
Yes. <laughs> James Reich. <laughs> Join no, us. No, no. On the other one. Good. good oh. other one. Yeah. Well, and oh yeah, Barry Maltzberg. Yeah, he had a he had a blurb on here. So that's that's right. right. There you go. Right. Didn't Morcock blurb uh, the song? Uh, Morcock blurbed soft invasions which is soft the, invasions that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the that's the kind of like the pkd trip well they, they both are they both are i feel like i've been writing about dick and malzberg in fiction for years secretly dick, dick malzberg ballard and uh morcock have always intersected for me in interesting ways right. maybe we can talk about that later yeah now this panel is special for me because it was kind of a last minute thing i put it together because i just read galaxies this week and uh reached out to these two because i know what big Maltzberger fans they are um and uh you know what the funny thing is too is you're two of my favorite people to uh talk about this era of science fiction with so uh this is uh my holiday gift to myself is, is doing this <laughs> podcast um and it will probably um i'm probably gonna hold on to this for a little bit because it's gonna be episode 101 of the podcast this oh, is good. a very cool number it's a very modest gift to yourself yeah well i i know you should be this more is, kind more compassionate this is very yes. exciting for me now um Maltzberg, i want to tell you my origin with Maltzberg, and then i want to hear your origin with Maltzberg, how you discovered him right on um, one of my favorite booksellers in, in the world, uh, um, who passed away a few years ago, Robert Garfat, who, uh, ran an anarchist and science fiction bookstore in Victoria, British Columbia, who I became friends with because I just happened into his bookstore and said, do you have any Norman Spinrad? And it was funny because he, he said, sure, I'll, I have some Spinrad. And then he started talking to me and he's like, have you ever read Barry Maltzberg? And I had not, and I had never heard of him. And I walked out with this copy of Beyond Apollo hmm. on that particular day. And I've been a Barry Maltzberg fan ever since. So shout out to uh, my buddy, Robert Garfat, who uh, passed away a few years ago uh, for being one of the coolest booksellers I've ever encountered. Because he was the one that uh, got me reading. And that was, I believe, 2005. So I've been reading Maltzberg since then. Not as long as probably some people, but um, that was my entry into him. David, where did you first read Maltzberg? Maltzberg? I'm going to, I got to stop saying Maltzberg. <laughs> no, the, the moment you mentioned that, I was thinking of it and I can't remember where, when the first time or, or what rather prompted me to uh, pursue his stuff. I do know that the first thing I read was Galaxies for sure. Uh, I read Galaxies and then I moved on from there to Beyond Apollo. And then when I started Antianapus Press, you know, that was years after. Right. I had heard, and again, I forgot through who, that Malzberg, was, because one of my aspirations through Antianapus Press was to republish good science fiction or science fiction that I thought was good and avant-garde and, and broke rules and all of this that was out of print that I wanted to bring back into print. And Malzberg was definitely the, the first guy that came to mind. And, you know, uh, uh, the first two I put out by him were Galaxies and, and Beyond Apollo. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how I and, and then I was, you know, I developed a relationship with him and I've been in it since then. Yeah. Right. James, how did you first discover Maltzberg? It was, um, I would say, 1997, I think I was uh, working in a bookstore um, with a guy um, 
named Steve Andrews, Stephen E. Andrews, who writes as he put out this book oh, cool. on the 100 must read science fiction novels sometime later. And, um, but we were in conversation one day and he knew that I was writing something, um, I guess it was notes towards a novel that came out later. Um, I was writing something on suicide and he told me to read uh, Malzberg's Guernica Night, which I, he gave to me um, and I loved it. I thought it was one of the greatest books I'd, I'd read. Um, and I subsequently bought copies, lent copies to other people and they vanished. People never gave them back. Um, so that was the, the, the introduction. Then um, I really got into Destruction of the Temple. I really enjoyed, um, really loved Galaxies. Um, but yeah, so somewhere around 97, early 98, I was given a copy of Guernica Night. And then around, I had the last, the last sort of, I don't know, in any way kind of serious academic kind of period I had with Malzberg was around 2016 when I was teaching a class on science fiction. I included him on the reading, I actually included Galaxies on the reading list. Um, I have none of those notes, so that's not going to help me today. Um, <laughs> the other thing was... Um, yeah, so the, but the Malzberg was such an immediate and powerful interest because I was really into, I guess we'll talk about this because his name will come up. Um, uh, Norman Mailer was one of my other big heroes in prose fiction. And I realized immediately there was something aligned between Malzberg and Mailer um, in his best stuff. So um, when I came to do this book on suicide, my first novel um, it was I, Judas, um, Malzberg's in it, Mailer's in it. So that's kind of like, that was 2011 when that happened. So he's, always, always, he's always present. Like he's literally in the book um, of I, Judas and he's kind of unconsciously present in all of them, I think. And what I think draw, also David draws both James and I to Malzberg is uh, he makes an effort to manifest different voices. So if you look at Calic, let's say galaxies versus phase four, Phase four is a popular science fiction uh, mass market paperback novel that was adapted into a film, I think, in the 70s, right? Uh, I believe he's... it was a film first. I thought it was a novelization, but. Oh, I... maybe it was a novelization. Okay. Okay. Hold on, even... I found Michelle. Might be even better, though, if he's doing novelizations yeah. uh, uh, and then producing things like Hair of Its World and Galaxies, which are the farthest thing from that possible. So I, I respect his. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh it was based on, it was a novelization which is re really interesting. Okay. It's the only one he did. Right. Oh really? Yeah. I mean I remember reading and I was it, like, it's a it's a really obscure um it's not it's, it's not that interesting. Uh, it's an obscure uh, compared um, to other Malford books. Has a great cigarette ad in it by the oh, way. Oh, they all do. Uh, those yeah, cigarette ads are great. They're in all of them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, right, and he does channel different voices and had different all kinds of different pen names and things right. that were going on. Um, well, but I want to go back. Especially, sorry, especially yeah, in the era, uh, uh, you know, most people you find your voice and you you go with it. You know, you you don't vary that that much. It seemed like Malzberg he'd do whatever, right? I mean, whatever was put to him. He, yet at the same time, try to maintain his, or, or or assert his authorial voice, you know, while at the, <laughs> while uh, uh, um, acclimatizing to other right. publishers and editors and doing what he's told, so to speak, you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, um, and so he went to uh, college in at Syracuse, 
which uh, means a lot to me because I lived in Syracuse for several years. And um, but one of the things that he's said multiple times in interviews was that one of the reasons why he worked so hard to get published early is that he never wanted to be an unpublished English professor and assumed that he was going to be teaching. And he ended up like not being a teacher, um, really. So it's funny because he was so worried about being the unpublished English professor, but he says he just kind of fell into science fiction. Does he have a master's or a PhD? Uh, That I don't know. Um, I don't know. He did go back to Syracuse. He went back to Syracuse for a graduate degree of some kind. He probably has a master's. Yeah. At least. Uh, I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I know he went back. Yeah, I know he went back a second time and he went back to Syracuse, Um, but he started publishing. But one of the most interesting things is that he bounced between several jobs in the publishing industry and he bounced back and forth between working in the early 60s. He was working for both um, Ace Books under Don Wolheim, Mm. uh, reading Slush Pile. Um, and if people don't know what that means is that he was reading the manuscripts as they came in and was giving notes. And he has said, he said in his interview that we did with him for dickheads that he got really good at reading manuscripts quickly and giving like very detailed notes. And so he became trusted for that, um, both there and at SMLA where he worked for many years. Now SMLA is the Scott Meredith literary agency. And if people don't know, SMLA represented, Philip K. Dick, Arthur C. Clarke, J.G. Ballard, um, domestically uh, in New York and all that. And so one of the things that he was doing was reading manuscripts and deciding which markets they were going to send. This is short stories, too, at the time, short stories and full length novels. And so he was very trusted at SMLA, partially because he had worked at Ace and kind of knew what some of the editors liked. He credited Don Wolheim as being one of those people that taught him a lot um, being there. And Don Wolheim, uh, for those who don't know, is the first person to ever put the word science fiction on the cover of a book in the pocket guide to science fiction. He's very, very important. And one of the stories, of course, that I loved most in our interview. David, was that that after, uh, so uh, uh, Gernsback was the one who used science fiction, right? He yes. So did that did that dude uh, was he the first one to kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, usurp uh, the scientific to fiction? Um, to science fiction, yeah. So the book that he published was in the science fiction afterwards. Afterwards, yes, yeah. yeah. No, other people, yeah. The term science fiction had been used in zines and had been used by fans. But the first time it was on the cover of a book was the Pocket Guide to Science Fiction, edited by Don Wolhan. Okay, I actually didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, when we were interviewing his daughter, she had the original print of the cover hanging on her wall, which was pretty big flex. Um, um, she also pulled out letters from Lovecraft to her dad, like while we were talking to her, which was oh, wow, pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, I got to say, like Wolhan's role in this one of the things that was really cool is because you know when we talked to barry about it he he you know he couldn't come up with specifics but he just said like he taught me a lot right he taught me a lot about science fiction 
And our favorite story that he told was the story of being in the room when Don Wolheim found out that Man in the High Castle had been nominated for a Hugo. Of course, that was a book that Don Wolheim passed on because he said it wasn't science fiction. Right? right. And then he said Wolheim blew a gasket and was screaming, it's not even science fiction. Like, um, which, of course, I disagree with. But, you know, that was Wolheim in the moment. Um, and but it's he- fascinating, too, these questions do they ever come up in any context at all anymore? Not just because we're in a science fictional sort of novel, that's the 21st century, but it's like uh, these these pushes and pulls that Dick had to negotiate, or Malzberg for that matter, uh, uh, don't really exist anymore, right? Right. No, oh, no, no, it's it's a totally different world. This is, and I don't one know of the what things- this world is now, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's interesting- artifacts, which is why they're fascinating, yeah. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I think this story is fascinating is because you were talking about how, um, James, you brought up earlier, I, maybe it was before we were recording, that Maltzberg didn't think he could function today. But one of the reasons why I think he was able to function so well is because he was behind the scenes all the time. So, yeah, you know, I mean... yeah Dick famously said his first audience was Don Wolheim, that he wrote his books for Don Wolheim in the beginning. And think about that. Maltzberg has a seat to see what's getting rejected, what's getting accepted, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sorry, James, go ahead. No, no, no just, just going to, you know, remake the point. Yeah, that, um, yeah, he has expressed the idea that he doesn't think they would be published today, that his work wouldn't, wouldn't thrive in the current marketplace, even though he's obviously a really savvy um, writer and a very kind of pragmatic um, judge of material. Um, he doesn't, you know, I, I think the idea came up about um, him writing under a pseudonym to, you know, return to the market, but I, I, he had, I don't think he had any confidence in that either. I think it's just a question of, you know, the ideas have moved on, the debate's so different, you know, and that point you just made, uh, David, about the, um, the, the genre question, right? Is this science fiction or not? I mean, yeah. I think that was, wasn't that also part of the, the debate around galaxies and the the Campbell Award, uh, sorry, Beyond Apollo and the Campbell Award, who was basically some people saying this isn't doesn't even really stand as oh, yeah. science fiction. You know, this is this is some kind of um, scatological postmodernism or something like that. I don't think people use those terms. Yeah. Maybe scatological, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly I mean, the For me, the importance of Malzberg is that he's a he he, and as he says, he writes literary science fiction in a way that. Is very hard to do these days. Absolutely, and what what is uh well though, and and of course the whole thing with uh, um, our science fictionalized world. Uh, Ballard was uh, screaming that in the sixties and seventies, as were other folks that we already live in a science fiction novel. But you know, Malzberg, it, it is amazing in his era that he was able to get away. I'm always fascinated by people who can get away with writing, you know. Right. Flat, Kind of a global term avant-garde experimental literature although not experimental in terms of um uh fucking with form and stuff i'm talking about the narrative and storytelling itself you know Malsberg was is it, just so unique it's not quite magical realism it's not quite irrealism or surrealism it's something really uniquely Malsbergian that both uh, um uphold certain codes vis-a-vis science fiction but at the same time makes concerted efforts to meta-referentially diverge from them 
And he does right. it so uniquely uh, in such a way that I haven't seen from other authors, you know? And I think that's why we like him, right? I think that's that's partly because of the way he's, I mean, it's not, not like a life raft, but I think he's kind of very clinging. He's, he's clinging to the idea, he's attached to the idea of, of literature, right? Of, of, yeah. of literary form. You know, um, galaxies, I was, I was looking through galaxies and it, it has, you know, among the kind of ironic shout outs, you know, name, I wouldn't want to call them name drops, but the, the referential moments in galaxies, yeah. let's say, um, to be more formal. Um, there's Cheever, there's John Barth, there's Joyce Carol Oates, there's Henry James, there's Proust, the Book of Job, Tolstoy, Mailer, Sinclair Lewis, Kerouac, Freud, others, right? This is someone that right. is writing, this is like someone that's writing science fiction without any apologies that it's a genre piece, right? To say, yeah. that, well, not letting the genre be an excuse for what you know he talks about and Moorcock later talked about as a decline in standards the absolutely and all, all the bullshit. he's also pulling from or, or maybe not pulling from them but certainly aware of all the authors that you mentioned i mean mm. malzberg is very well read very very self-aware very aware of the yeah. literary landscape in his era and now and those are the types of authors that I gravitate towards too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Those, I mean, they inform the writing, you know, more than, um, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, that might, you know, but I'm just going to, I guess I'll put in my, my uh, speculation. I feel like they influence, they influence the writing more than say, you know, classic science fiction authors for sure. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, you know, like, like with his, the diversity of what he published, the range of his work, the different pseudonyms that, I know, um, you know, David's very interested in, you know, the, the pseudonyms and the different styles of work. Um, yeah, it, it's it's that kind of range beyond science fiction that makes him a really great science fiction writer. You know, yeah, today, I we, today we find all these literary writers dabbling in science fiction, you know, but Malzberg wasn't dabbling. He was a, you know, a great, is a great literary writer um, who happened to, to write science fiction. And, and that's a great way of putting it. And then, and then David, uh, uh, sorry to yeah. interrupt. No, no, go ahead. No, you, uh, uh, the, 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 what really distinguishes Malzberg, of course, and any science fiction writer who's really great is their purview beyond science fiction and integrating it all into it. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, nowadays, uh, mainstream writers are science fiction writers. If you, right. if you really look at a mainstream book, uh, whoever, uh, you're going to see science fictional shit in there. That's just the way that things have gone. I mean, we, uh, yeah. it was formally in the 20th century, sort of innovation and fantasy and all of this is very much a reality for us now. Anyway, David, go ahead. Well, well, and the thing with his pseudonyms, and I've never read his his uh, um, risque books. Uh, I, I've <laughs> I, it's been in my intention to eventually do that, but I just uh, I have not. But um, I know he he there was a certain degree of that he was writing books for money. He was, you know, paying the bills. I don't know if he had a family or not. I really don't know. I don't know what what his market forces. Well, he, he's married. I know he's married. I don't know if he has kids. I know yeah. that I, I send his royalty checks to his wife. I know that. That's right. About I, well, and he <laughs> he, he for whatever reason, he was writing a lot of work. For, I, part of the reason why he had the pseudonym K.M. O'Donnell was that he just wrote so much science fiction he couldn't publish under his name because the market wouldn't let him publish 
for example, in Galaxy, two times in a year, he could only publish once under Barry Maltzberg. So that's how KM O'Donnell, and I did ask him about this in my interview, and KM O'Donnell is, and this is part of my evidence for the court that, that whatever, because I've heard people say that, I've, I've heard the criticism that, and partially it's because Barry is kind of like, naturally in grumpy old man mode like his entire life right like even when even when he was a young man he was grumpy old man right yeah so um wait 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 wait. i gotta insert this have you met him um i've interviewed him but um i've talked to people in person oh no i've not just interviewed him yeah so i met him once at a reader con it was in 2009 and i'd already published galaxies Actually, it might have been after that. It was because Galaxies was one of the first books I published in Antiquated Express. He didn't know who the fuck I was, I don't think. And, and he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I told him like, hey, I, I published your book. And he was just looking at me and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he just kind of wanted to get away. So, I, which, <laughs> which is good. Uh, 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 you know, he's never been a hassle or anything like that. But I, do, I have, must admit being like, gee, uh, I don't feel good. <laughs> after that interaction the person that has ever he's always been perfectly pleasant by email and all of that yeah go ahead the person that um f paul wilson uh who's one of my favorites he's a nice guy i met him he's good paul paul's one of my one of my heroes but paul has known barry since since as long as he's been in the industry yeah and they have lunch on the regular still right so um and he what I said is Paul in his eighties. Paul, Paul is, Paul? yeah, Paul's up there oh, too. But um, oh, I didn't know he was that old. Okay, no, no, he's not. Paul's not as old as Barry, but um, I thought he was like sixty. Paul, but but no, yeah, no. Paul's not not nearly as old as um as Barry. But Barry's probably eighty two, one or eighty two right now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, F. Paul Wilson's a, a young whippersnapper compared to uh, Barry, but uh, Paul, uh, when I when i brought up barry maltzberg one time that we were talking he i made the joke that he seems like he was born a grumpy old man and paul laughed very hard at that and said yeah kind of pretty much and so i i that's my confirmation that 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 feeling is there but because of that grumpy old man kind of attitude that that barry comes off of like a lot of people think and galaxies um kind of adds to that this idea that that Barry is not a fan of science fiction, that he's begrudgingly part of science fiction. And that's not true. If you read breakfast in the ruins and I will use like the, the pen name of KM O'Donnell as an example of, you know, you get him talking about Henry Kuttner or CL Moore or Judith Merrill or some of the, the writers that he grew up reading. Um, he, he loves, he loved science fiction. He loved sure. being a part of it. So, and I yeah. think, that it's to say that he, you know, some of that, and I guess that's some of that, that, that take that people had on beyond Apollo is a part of that. My personal feeling is it's not that he doesn't like science fiction. It's that he thinks space is dumb. I think, and he, that, I think he just finds that. I think he just finds a lot of it to be shit. You know, it's, yeah. I think he takes, well, we all do. I think it's, I mean, we all Everyone do does. A, a, yeah. a healthy attitude, you know, and I think that, you know, he, I mean, he, he definitely blames to an extent um you know the 
the explosion of late six, late, well, I guess late sixties, and well, definitely blame Star Wars oh, for the for the for the kind of um, the dumbing down um, of of science fiction. Whether he's correct or not, I mean, he definitely holds that view, and he definitely held you know views about. NASA and the space program and, and so on, um, which I think some of that even goes to you know, throw us towards galaxies. Some of that I think goes to the, the Mailer connection because you know, in, in Mailer's book on the space race of a fire on the moon, he talks about NASA having, uh, sorry, not NASA. Um, I, think it's the, I think it's the control center in Houston. I think it's mission control in, in Houston, um, having no smell, right? Have, have an odorless environment. And to me, that goes exactly to what the kind of the way that Malzberg relates to space as an aseptic place, right? As a place without where sensuality struggles to occur, right? Which is kind of um, arid and dead in yeah. that sense, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's again, it's 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 a, a it's a literary take that's not doesn't lend itself to the idea of. Um, space being glamorous right but space being he's also writing at that point where he's wrote the the new wave people are writing at a really interesting point because the it's the point almost i mean i think i said this elsewhere sometimes sorry if it was to either of you but um <laughs> you know it's the point at which science fiction becomes impossible right where it has to become inner space it has to turn inwards because yes. because because the because the the secrets of mars and venus are exploded, right? It becomes absurd to write about the canals of Mars anymore, or, or bikini-clad women on Venus. It becomes a ridiculous concept. So, you know, that between that, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and um, the general the general turn towards a kind of, you know, a, a, a literary form in science fiction that never had a modernist period, that skipped yes. modernism entirely. Um, yeah. It suddenly has to grapple with this kind of um, delayed, delayed version of modernism, stream of consciousness, but also at the same time, it's trying to do all the fragmentary postmodern stuff um, that he does in the metafiction that's in galaxies, the referential stuff. Well, um, and he's writing at a really curious time, like like Ballard, like like the innovators in '60s science fiction um, and the new wave, and and Dick too, as uh, yeah, Philip K. Dick too. It, well, it is it is the point at which a certain kind of science fiction becomes impossible to write. With a straight face. Well, and look, and I've got the publisher of this this book, uh, Galaxies, here on the podcast, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go real deep on what what I said in my review of why I think this book is really important right now. Um, and building off James's point, this was a special time, and there is Barry Maltzberg is a one in a billion person to write this book because of his place at SMLA and at Ace Books, he was reading all the slush pile in the era when the golden age became the new wave. Nobody, nobody but Barry Maltzberg was working in both the talent agency and in the publishers and reading these slush piles and then going and distilling all of it into science fiction novels and commentary. And so you have Galaxies, which is a one in a billion like commentary on science fiction because it's also a novel that 
the fuck would write this? Right. Yeah. Right. Who the, at that who time, would do this concept, and then you combine the who the fuck would do this concept with the who the fuck is this guy who sat at this on the wave between who sat on the the edge of the new wave who also grew up reading golden age era has massive respect for golden age science fiction, especially Cutner. Cutner's his favorite. I love how he, in one of the interviews, he was like, Cutner was the, the best among us and a son of a bitch. And like, you know, like, and this in the same sentence, right? So yeah. Maltzberg, he's it. He's the only person that could write this book. One in he, a million. He is, but. Uh, uh, for the in terms of the British New Wave, which James was was invoking, there are three figures that come to mind uh, that manifest that in the American scene. It's Malzberg, of course, but also uh, perhaps no, more Bruner. than Dick and Ellison. Those fucking three, for me anyway, the American New Wave. Those are the three people who manifested in the sixties and seventies. Who are you saying, David? I, well, I was saying Bruner is a person who. Listen, well, him, there are only I a still few think authors. He fails in comparison to those three. Uh, oh, I know. Three oh are God. the ones in America. Yeah, I think James and I are going to disagree with you. Because no, no, I no, I'm not disagreeing. I, don't, I have no dog in this. I have no dog in this. I was just, I wanted you two to scrap. Okay, it out. so here's the thing. Here's the <laughs> yeah. thing. We're talking about authors who were active in the golden age, right? No, I, so the tail end of the golden age, though, is via retrospect. Uh, uh, you have you you have your finger more on the pulse of what was happening at the time. In retrospect, though, for me, it's those okay. three. Guys. Well, and I will well, say, I mean, Ellison had more of the grumpy old man quotient that we were discussing earlier. But so. it, and he was editing and getting people involved in that in America and everything. And he, and he sure. was, of course, involved in, in with English writers and stuff. Yeah. Well, and I use as an example, and I thought this was a controversial one of the authors who who started in the golden age and were able to transition to new wave. I think PKD, John Bruner, John Bruner started in the golden age as a young man, but he transitioned. And here's the controversial one that not everyone's going to agree with me on, but I think Lee Brackett fits. And I think Lee Brackett fits because she was doing her Amazon women of Mars stuff in the golden age. And then you look at the book that she dosy doed with PKD, the big jump, the big jump is like, a science fiction horror novel familiar with that yeah, yeah yeah big jump is incredible if people and and it shows that she was able to 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 get a little dirty in a new wave <laughs> way and then i would also argue that the long tomorrow her novel her post-nuclear novel which is kind of soft but uh the fact that she wasn't she transitioned from doing like the space operas to doing novels like that to me is a sign that she was working both eras now what I'm saying about how this relates to galaxies and to get us back on track onto Maltzberg yeah. is, you know, and it's interesting because two of his most like respected stories were Cam O'Donnell stories, the gathering of the hall planets and final war. Right. And eventually final war was in all the best of Maltzberg and all that. I don't know though. Do, really? Cause th those aren't the stories that uh, when I, when I, whenever I'm, you know, sort of uh, uh, reconnoitering Maltzberg, I don't, I, I don't hear much about his. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm yeah. saying respected by the standard the science fiction community. Okay. Oh, the respect that he got from like the people who vote for the Hugos and vote for the. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All, all right. All that's that. good. Yeah. Okay. So he had those two, right. And Galaxies, it's interesting because I love the fact that you put out Galaxies because 
Um, that was the first one. Yeah, that was the, that was. Yeah, the, I mean, it did get a Masters of Science Fiction edition in the '90s. So, you know, but if you really want to look at how this book, um, dude, there's nothing like that book in the in the year or era that it came out. Am I nothing. wrong? There's nothing, it, it, and that is exactly what I was looking for. It's like an anomaly in in the vastness, you know. Right now, I want to point out. David Pringle's Ultimate Guide to Science Fiction. Uh, I got that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> I just quote Yeah, that's a, a right. David, it's, let's, look, let's look at what David Pringle wrote about in the Ultimate Guide versus what he wrote 10 years later in the 100 Pringle's best a, uh, Pringle is a great scholar, but he is a stickler and uh, don't yeah. try to bang heads with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, in his three-star <laughs> review of Galaxies, this is funny. Okay, Mock Hard sf tale in which heroine flies her spacecraft into black galaxy the author interweaves many sour comments on the nature of sf as a genre witty self-reflexive occasionally irritating right which is i mean this is what happens when you give yourself you know what what was that like 55 words or something right (laughs) Wow, oh, a few you know, years later. In there, James, it's like a, just a paragraph. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, right. it, I know it. Or, or a um, few paragraphs, yeah. Now, um, a few years later, and quoted on the back of the, the 90s edition, uh, the, same, the same author says, Galaxies is a love-hate letter to all readers and writers of science fiction, a witty criticism of the genre and its aspirations. <laughs> the same guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, so... Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's all right if he's, you know, if he evolves, should we say, you know, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't sense, I don't, I, don't, I mean, I find galaxies to be, apart from intellectually brilliant, which we can get some of that as well. It's, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very it's amusing book. Yes, I mean, and that's the thing, David. To the, David it's, to the extent that it has bitterness at all, it's towards, I mean. I, that even seems strong, saying bitterness, sardonic. Um, I, I, I just love that say. Pringle had but, those two attitudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think it's isn't it? I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a failing in my view of Pringle's reading because it it seems the thing the thing is with Barry, he's a great writer, but it's very honest. It's it's, it's very straightforward. James, James, no offense, you and I are as good as. <laughs> or can be as good as or better than Barry in terms of our prose and our writing. I'm sorry, that's, these are just the contours of objective reality. The fact of the matter is what fascinates me about Barry is his historical context that he was able to pull that off as a very capable writer and uh, uh, creator of prose, it's melodic prose, uh, uh, religiously. I mean, uh, you know what I mean? But at the same yeah. time, it comes off as very colloquial, and uh you know and well, he beyond, varies, oh he's varies. like i'm gonna fuck my um uh imagined uh, wife in the ass uh, i'll be right back you, you know what i mean it, it's like just crazy stuff that happens uh, here and there uh, uh but he he articulates it in a way that is absolutely accessible but at the same time melodic in his prose and uh, james in particular is very good at that which is why he's, he's a great subtextual writer. And I think he, yes, varies. absolutely. I think, That's it. I, I don't mean this in a negative sense. I mean, I think, I think it's, maybe it's unconscious. Maybe I think 
I mean, all books have an unconscious, right? Just like films have, there's an unconscious of the film that comes yeah. together, it's created. Um, in the unconscious of, 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 um, of Malzberg's books, there's a kind of erudition and an ironic, um, I think many of his relationships with the things he writes about are, let's say ambivalent uh, rather than ironic because um, let's say a couple of examples, if I can just, you know, give, you can indulge me for a couple of seconds. Um, so there's this great, which chapter is it? I think I wrote it down somewhere. There's a great chapter. It's one of the early ones where did I write it down? Oh, it's, yeah, I made a note. It's chapter 11 where he introduces Freud. In, in uh, Malzberg? In book? Galaxies. Sorry, in Galaxies. Oh. In chapter 11, he introduces Freud. And in, this, in the unconscious of the book or in the subtext of the book, the, the argument about the tachyonic drive is about both the libidinal drive and the death drive, right? Because the book is, is basically has this relationship with, with sexuality and morbidity. Right? That's, that's the thread that runs through the whole thing. Um, so he buried, so, and, and he's, he's, not, he's not exactly enthusiastic necessarily about psychoanalysis. It's just that he knows, it's just that there's an ambivalent relationship, some relationship, some of the material that lives underneath it that enriches the book. And then later on, yes. he has this really great um, chapter. But it's always right. Don't you think it's always right too? I mean, yes, it's right. Always, yeah, it's whatever he floats out there. There's always some kind of uh, undergirded critique, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think love, love, hate is you know so, that thing that people talk about. It's almost a little bit too strong. I mean, I think yeah. that's, that's too polar, right? I think there's, there's something more interesting going on. He talks about he name drops um, John Barth a couple of times as if he's kind of got this again as if he's saying something potentially cynical about John Barth, right? But he's also and, aligning himself with Barth. He is because by, in, by simply it, invoking his name, yeah, he is, and he does it more directly than than we think because. John Barth in 67 wrote, um, did this essay that folk might know called The Literature of Exhaustion. Yeah. And it was one of the first essays to really invoke as all academic critics of fucking science fiction do to today, invoke Borges, right? So Barth invokes Borges and the, the, the Library of Babel, Babel um, as, as one of his models. And he, he kind of has this idea, he has a sense that by the time he's right, he's, I think he's got four or five novels written under his belt by 1967. And Bath feels at the time he does the literature of exhaustion that the possibility, the intellectual possibility for novelty in literature has been exhausted. Like the, the experiments have been done, the, not, the, the newness has been done. And so that is what leads to the exhaustion. And Bath says, what is the solution to, it essentially says, what is the solution to this exhaustion? And the answer in, in Bath's essay is silence, right? Which is exactly the same um, formulation that Malzberg comes to in Galaxies. Don't you think though that- part of the surrender of it. Yeah, and we'll get there in a little bit. I, I, wanna, I wanna go back and talk about the fact that he he like kind of lays down the law in the beginning that this isn't really a novel right now it's a bunch of notes towards a novel at the beginning and he has like 13 pages 
of 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 it's not even narrative really at the beginning where he's just laying it's almost like he's teaching people about science fiction and i think one of the things he mentions he brings up the fact that you know science fiction he considers science fiction since its formal inception as a romantic subgenre in this country in 1926 with the publication of the first issue of hugo gernsback's amazing stories and then he talks about how like it's always been about like not you know either being able to control or not control technology but he's very specifically dating the beginning of science fiction he's mm-hmm. not just saying like oh hey it's since the beginning of science fiction he put a date on it yeah. and, and, and he's actually he's teaching in these first 13 pages he's teaching the history of science fiction which is something that you know he'll get pat- more passionate about and breakfast to the ruins and we have a whole book of him talking about the history which everybody everyone who's interested in the history of science fiction should read breakfast from the ruins it's it's absolutely incredible. yeah well now that's a uh what was the original one breakfast in the ruins is the the sort of reprint of no i don't remember i only have breakfast in the ruins i only have the, 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 the hold on yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, let me throw in a bit more um one sure. last bit on, on bath um so Barth in 67 talked himself, talked about himself, right, his own predicament, which I think is something that Marlsberg kind of shares in relation to science fiction. Breakfast um, in the Ruins is a, a, a reprint of the engines of the night. That's with, right. With, with more material. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's Go right. Ahead. So, so Barth talks about the state he was in in 67. He was writing, he was writing novels that imitate the form of novels. <laughs> by an author that imitates the form of an author, right? Which is kind of like what Galaxies is. Yep. It's, it, it has that, it, it, it follows the, not only, it does many things. It does many things chapter to chapter, but yeah, it follows that, um, that ironic distance um, that Bath had in the literature of exhaustion. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a section, I'll give you this, and then I'll shut up about Bath forever, I promise, right? You like that bar? Huh? <laughs> do what you need to do. He uh, so. Let me tell you where it is in the in the um, in the um, in the legendary. Oh yeah, it's press edition. You can find some of this stuff on page 128. You academics. Um, I want to get my where, copy. Are you going to read along? Yeah. <laughs> you nerd. All right. Um, no. So. He's talking about what's, what has happened to the exhausted writers. He's talking about Tol- Tolstoy going crazy, Mailer running for mayor, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says, um, what's the best that a writer can do? And he says, cultivate a decent silence. And then he uses silence several more times. And then he says at the end of the chapter, um, there is time, there is time. There is the rest of the writer's life after all in which to cultivate silence, right? So, it's very much, you know, he doesn't invoke Bath and people like that just for the hell of it. You know, he, he right. invokes it because it's the, the unconscious and the subtext of the novel, which makes all of, for me, all of Marlsberg's bet without being, you know, you don't have to go through this, you know, wormhole labyrinthine kind of study. Um, things will leap out at some people and not at others. And, you know, there's t- tons of shit and galaxies that I probably missed in my life. But um, I think one of the real pleasures of reading Malzberg is the is the intelligence 
in the unconscious of the novel, right? And that goes for me from from the Freudian material, whether the whether the the um, the the, con the the very contest of drives is Malzberg like he is in Beyond Apollo, being interested in in Freud in an ambivalent way, or whether it's engaging with you know Cheever and Barth and the the, the postmodernists um, in a science fiction context, however ambivalently. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't remember. It's an and. It's not a but. It's an and all the time. Yeah. Well, and look, the the feeling that you're talking about leaving the book with. I mean, it's funny because when he m mentioned all those authors and and all mm -hmm. that, like, what I thought was cool about it is is that it was so far away removed from the, the, the note version of the early part of the book that it was, it was a great callback. It was right. like, you kind of forgot that he's being meta for a while. Cause you're into Lena's story for a little bit. And then mm -hmm. it kind of comes back and that's kind of a neat way that the narrative does that. Now I, I should note that every time galaxies was mentioned in any type of way, I did this kind of thing because I wanted right. to go into it cold when I read it. And um, when I read it a um, couple days ago, um, like I had no idea that there was going to be 13 pages of notes about science fiction at the beginning. And I was just like, ah, oh, Maltzberg, you dirty dog. You like writing a book for me, right? And then I was surprised that he actually is talking about himself and that he's <laughs> actually referencing galaxies as a book. It's like, I've seen meta books where the author's kind of talking out loud but actually describing the name of the book and doing those things and saying the author of um i think maybe it's a different book for those of us who have know who barry is and can kind of picture him sitting in his office with slush piles stacked around him you know typing away is he the first person to do like a meta fictional thing well like, no like, like a concerted 20th century science someone who writes uh uh not exclusively in the SF genre, but who else? I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head, pre-60s, pre-war, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, went after a metafictional sort of impulse, the likes of which Barry did. I don't know if anybody did. I think he was like the first person to really do it. You know yeah, I mean? to really talk about the title of his book. And look, it's funny because I just recently reread Vallis for... Um, for the podcast and uh you know it's funny because like there are interesting books to read near each other because dick is doing oh. a lot a lot of the same like dick, things. yeah but 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 Malzberg went for the jugular D dick just you know went for minor veins <laughs> right 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 you know i mean his dick's meta was way more low level than barry's which was fucking uh uh right in your face you know what i mean well, I don't know if I agree with that because I'll really? well, in, I'll, in, in galaxies. It's and well, no, I will say they're like I'm they not disagreeing that, the science fiction genre and editors. I'm not disagreeing that. Well, first of all, Maltzberg did it a deck or six years earlier or whatever. Yeah, right. So that's one thing. Two thing. Um, I don't think Dick went. Well, Dick went as far as mentioning like Vallis as a movie and like a fake thing. Dick, yeah, Dick was more into the narrative, like ingesting this shit into his characters, whereas Malberg was going after the apparatus in various ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what, what I will say is a little different, which gives an edge to Vallis 
a little bit. And Dallas is not my favorite PKD by not even close. So that should be noted that I'm not a huge Dallas fan. But what is interesting? Wait a second. Hold on. This is very interesting because it indicates uh, 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 something about your character. Why do you not like Vallis so much? What is it with Vallis that uh, uh, rubs you the wrong way? Well, I'll I'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> okay, where, I will get there. The thing about Vallis, you really is, want to know about you. Uh, yeah. So the this thing about Vallis is that <laughs> I think makes a case for Vallis being just as intense as galaxies in a different way is that Phil was definitely questioning his sanity. And the, the really? thing about going from horse lover fat to just basically melting, like starting the book with there's this guy, he's going through all this stuff. His name is horse lover fat. And then by the end of the book, it's just like, okay, it's me. It, it's me. Right. You know, it is, it's, I mean, Dick knows he's going. He always knew, he what, knew he was what he was doing. doing. He knew what he was doing all along. But I think the fact that all of his friends were, Barry didn't have the situation with galaxies where his friends were going to be like, dude, I don't know about what's going on with you. Yeah. Whereas oh, when people, when his friends, when Dick's friends read Vallis, they're having the, the uh, like, first of all, because it's very really? autobiographical. And one of the reasons why I did not like Vallis as much this time is because I know so much about Phil's life now that like Jesus I'm constantly Christ. reading it going, that didn't happen. That did happen. That yeah. didn't happen. Uh, Tessa ne- would never act like that. Oh, his, he never, his son never, he, his wife never walked out with his kid. I'm sitting there comparing it to his life. Yeah. And that's unfair to Vallis because it's not his life. But I can't separate that for me. Yeah, but who who, who cares? It's a work. It's a work of fiction. It's a work of fiction. I'm just saying why you ask me why I don't like Vallis. Oh, okay. And I'm telling <laughs> no, you, that's why you, you went wrong. That's why you went wrong. Asking that question. <laughs> no, I get it. That's cool. And <laughs> I'm telling you that the thing is, is that that's all on me. I admit it. It's on me. Like it's my reading of it. No one should know as much about Phil's life as I do. And no one should know as much about it going into reading Ballas. And I'm wondering, that does make me wonder, if we knew more (laughs) about Barry's day-to-day, are there hidden things in galaxies, especially his relationships to SMLA, to Slush Piles, to Don Wolheim? Like, I'm sure that there are lines in those first 13 pages where he's roasting the fuck out of Don Wilhelm. Well, he, he does. I mean, not, not necessarily directly Wilhelm, but, I mean, he does. One of the things that makes it an incredible book is that he... So he does... So you, you both, I think, referenced it earlier, the sort of polyvocal style that Malzberg can do, right? Out, the yes. idea is that, is that he has this virtuoso technique where not only does he invoke authors a b c you know and so on and these kind of like anonymous archetypal science fiction authors who follow these kind of archetypal arcs into alcoholism divorce you know falling out of the field whatever it might be um he's also described the experience of almost every author but uh, right right yeah they're no different right that's what he's i think maybe that's the point i think is what he's saying is that science fiction in a sense doesn't need to be a diff- doesn't need to be a different type of literature but but what he does do really well as well is he manages to he talks about what would happen in, in hard science fiction and pretends that he can't do it and then he does it he talks about what should happen 
you know, if the novel was was to take a surrealistic or picaresque turn, and almost says, yeah, again, this is, this is he plays this kind of false modesty that this is a, beyond my abilities, and of course he does it right. So he he occupies all the all the different spaces that we've come to associate in with the you know in an academic in an academic overviews of of science fiction they talk about the hard the soft the sociological you know the um the freudian the techno etc and he all of which is old school he, manages, he plays he manages to write he writes every single one of those in this novel while pretending that all the time with this kind of bluff that he has that writing this novel is beyond his abilities and all the time, you know, the, the novel is this kind of virtuoso um, demonstration of a person that can handle these different techniques to go back to your thoughts about Philip K. Dick and insomnia kind of in his sleep. Right. This is this. Some of this stuff is not difficult for him. Right. Like it comes it comes easily to parody hard science fiction because it is like you read the deathless prose of Andy Weir and you know how how it is. Right. Um, don't, don't, don't you think James and David. Honestly, uh, 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 I, I've been recognizing this more in the last few years, and I'm I'm trying to perceive this, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the contours of objective reality. We are getting older, folks, and uh, we're at the point, kind of, where we're experts at our field and can do what are the people, at least I'll speak for myself. I feel as if I can accomplish, for instance, the prose and the stories, if I put my mind to it, of these these uh, authors that I have uh, worshipped my whole life. Only recently have I gotten to that point. Do you guys feel that at all? Well, you know, it's funny. Not, you should mention not to say that I'm, you know, fucking God of literature or anything like that. I just feel, uh, you know, Jesus Christ. I read all day and night. I write all day and night. Uh, if you practice enough, you get kind of good at a craft. And uh, I feel as if I'm like on par with these people I used to worship. So it's a very, Malsberg being one of them, it's a very weird sort of position to be in, uh, I, as objectively as I can put that. How do you guys feel about it? Well, I'll go I would, I, well look, <laughs> I'm, my first nationally distributed book is coming out next year. And it's not in the same vein or genre or whatever, but um there's hey, certain... come on you you've been involved in the literary industry for years i mean yeah yeah i have and, and look and, and i feel obviously we all have lifeblood and we can we're here for the long haul we yeah, doing this for 20 years what... no whatever you what... want to say about us we're, we're okay yeah i see what you're saying but and 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 i have thought about this and i actually have specifically so we talked before online, before we started recording about the Philip K. Dick's formula, his his yeah. five page formula, right for writing a novel that the letter he wrote to Ron Goulart. and um, one of the projects I would like to do after I finish unfinished PKD is um, I want to write a cli-fi novel using Philip K. Dick's five page formula, and right. I I want to see if I can, after spending five years studying Philip K. Dick and digging through his outlines i i'm gonna try to write this i don't know if it's gonna so, work is it something in the vein of philip k dick is dead alas or or is it uh, no he's not gonna be in it or anything but i just what i want to do is i want to see if i can write 
after doing all this study, I want to see if I can write a Philip K. Dick novel. Like, it's not me. Dude, it's, not my style. it's not my style. It's not, <laughs> it's not anything. Three of us I, could do, uh, you know, pull that off real quick. Seriously. Well, you you no, bring two storylines together and the three of us could write better prose than Philip K. Dick. That's how you do it. Be well, well, look, I've, I've, I've got some thoughts on that and I've got to do that, but it's funny. They're all very imaginative. Because I, I've had the thought like, um, that's pretty presumptuous of me. It's not, you know, I've thought to myself, am I not being humble or whatever? I what know I can't be, I can't have the imagination that he does. But what I'm trying yeah, to do... Well, hang on, hang on. Be, I mean, James and I do. Well, I, hang on, and you do too, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't see the difference. Well, look, 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 look. I'm just responding to what you're saying, as far as <laughs> right, right. I, I yeah. see. I, I and relating back to Maltzberg, I think you. What you're trying to say is he was trying to get meta about like, hey, I'm here, motherfuckers. I'm here. Yeah. I, I I know what you've been doing. But he was years. unique in his era. We live in an era where everything is taken for granted. Everything has been done before, so on and so forth. Right. You know? Maybe I got too personal in my response. No, 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 you didn't actually, because the, the the thing that strikes me as interesting about your thought about it, um, this is not a pylon by any means, but I want to, you know, to be supportive actually, like, well, why why could you why would it be immodest to write to the philip k dick formula and it wouldn't be immodest to write to the hero's journey of campbell right there you so, go right. So yeah, there's, that's true. There's, there's no that's not that's not immodesty that's basically james, I, I should say this james one of the reasons i'm so excited about publishing you through anti-oedipus press is you do philip k dick in better writing i, I don't know how else to put that uh, you really do uh, 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 your writing is better than Philip K. Dick, but most people's writing is better than Philip K. Dick. But Dick, in his era, is so unique and wonderful. And when I read him, I'm like, yes, this is what is going on in that era. Well, I, Phil I, would do shit. I appreciate it so much more because he's just like, fuck you. But at the same time, he's like, I want money. <laughs> I don't even know how think, he manifests this. He wants money, know. but at the same time, he's like, I'm going to write against the grain. It's crazy. I don't well, know how David feels about this. Mainstream novels at the same time. Yeah. I don't know about how host David feels about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Wilson. Yes. Dr. Wilson. I don't know how uh, how the other David feels about this. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, I when I remember, I was really excited because I had, Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep was on the same syllabus that I did with Galaxies. And I don't think, Great books to teach again. Great uh, books to teach, yeah. But I think, yeah. I think this, and this was to a, this was to a, you know, creative writing undergrad uh, cohort. Yeah. I think many of them, even if they didn't say it out loud, had the experience the first time I, I mean, the first time I read Dick, and I think maybe, and maybe this is an age thing too. Let me hold that thought for a second. I was surprised by the prose, right? In the sense that, over time, I think Dick maybe this is to you, host David, um, maybe one of those people that it's that it's difficult to read the prose, not not in a sense of it's you know intellectually difficult. One of the things that helps in reading the prose is to know something about the person that wrote it, because it, yes. it to me the prose has this personality. Like so does Malzberg, right? But it has or any or any good writer any good forceful writer in a sense that yeah there's definitely something that you know um 
my undergrads, I think, thought this is quite simplistic prose, but you can't kind of, it's one of those examples where that Swedenborgian drug-taking nutbag, Philip K. Dick, kind of is important to understand. And the person that really, really is, is humorous, right? And is, has, right. has this personality, right? That, that is inseparable from, he's kind of, he's, he, he does have this, um, what would you call it? Like, I don't, I, I'm struggling for the right word. He's kind of like, he has, this, well, he has this holy fool, he has this holy fool aspect that right. plays into his Holy books. fool, yes, that's a good way of putting it. Well, and look, if you look at and, and, in a uh, Shakespeare full yeah. way, because sorry, David, hold on before yeah, you, you chime in, just to uh, 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 an addendum to what James was saying. Dick was whatever you want to say about him, all his drugs, whatever. Fucker's prolific. He just puts shit out again and again and again, and I don't care. I respect in some, some of the worst moments of his life. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if you're a filmmaker or whatever, a writer, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, who gives a shit? What matters is what's on the page and what's on the screen. And Dick was all about that. He was he was just like boom, 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 going after it. Okay, fine. We 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 can <laughs> you know quibble with some of his uh, uh prose or storylines or whatever. You cannot discount his opus. It is a it's not an oof, it's yeah. a fucking opus. It's, it's a totality. Well, it's a totality, right? And so, yeah. like his you, most, David mentioned, his most, Jesus earlier when we were offline, and it's like you, you, you kind of have to look at this, uh, this really intense Gnostic self that's going on behind some of the holy fool errands of some of the the, the delightfully kind of goofy prose at the same time. Yep, with with right. these really deep with these kind of profound ideas and i love anyway, his goofy, I, I love the delightfully goofy prose like in ubic that the whole uh the urinal thing like uh yeah, you're upside down or whatever whatever he said in ubic you you know david uh, yeah yeah uh, and he's scene. like he he does weird things with capitalization in ubic too yeah. in that scene and 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 fought to keep that when his editor was like oh i gotta fix this that he's like no 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 no, no i did that on purpose but yeah. also his most prolific period, his most prolific period of his life, November 1963 to April 1964, leave, leaving Anne during yeah. that period, moving but in also and out of her house. Touch and speed to his uh, tongue every two seconds too. And right, wait. wrote the outline for Zap Gun, wrote... <laughs> Uh, three stigmata wrote uh fucking crack in space wrote um penultimate truth like, like all in that five month period and it's like it's insane that he that he did that and what's funny is is that you look at Maltzberg, he like he was just as prolific he wrote just and, and you know it's funny there, he's like and, a puritan though right he he, uh, it, well, right, he wasn't doing the same kind of stuff he didn't do anything except coffee right well and i will say that figs right yeah, I will, I, I will say this. The last year for the 40th anniversary of Blade Runner, we did a whole read-along with Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, like a one city, one read thing with a bookstore yeah. in town. And I wrote like three articles about Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and I got more in, in the weeds in that book than I had ever done before. <laughs> 
and I'd read it three times before that. And as goofy as that guy was, and as you know, and I always point out the differences when I did that podcast about the dispossessed with Le Guin, nothing in my trip to Berkeley was more eye opening than the class difference between Ursula Le Guin and Philip K. Dick, right? And you go to Wait, did, you, did you talk? Did you, How do you mean? How do you mean? Can you can you explain? Can you say a bit more about that? Did you mean yes, with Earth? yes, I can. If you go, if you drive around Berkeley and you go to all the houses, oh, the, oh, the, the the financial class difference, right? You're talking about right? Okay, Wait, that's, part, you, of you, that's meet, part of it. That's part of it. Did you meet one on one with Ursula? No, I didn't. No, she no oh, this oh, was okay. last year. No, I'm talking about. I went to her house. Yeah. And I went I went to the house she grew up in and I went to the five or six houses that Phil grew up in, in in the same town. And at one point they were a couple blocks away from each other, right? They lived pretty close to each other for for like a two-year period. However, the majority of the time, like Phil was all over the place, yeah. lived in all these different houses. He walked to and here's the thing. They both were nominated for the Hugo in 1974 for Flow My Tears and the Dispossessed. And there is no bigger difference in class when you look at the fact that she grew up in a house on the hill. Oppenheimer was a family guest of the house, you know, visiting his her parents. Phil worked at a record store with a single mom. She won, walked, right? Walked everywhere. And she went to Harvard. He worked at a record store. Right. This is this is maybe this is why I don't like Le Guin. I've never been interested in Le Guin at all. Um, I find <laughs> Joanna Russ much more interesting. Um, oh my God! Yeah, the female man I, is way better. I have, than I have no interest in. I find Ursula Le Guin twee. Left, Left Hand of Darkness is an important book. I get it. Uh, the Dispossessed totally bored the fuck out of me. Did, did, did that well, win? I, I'm a fan it? of the Dispossessed, yeah. but I'll well, defend well, it. But Philip, Philip K. Dick in in uh, Flow My Tears was absolutely making effort, making efforts to improve race relations. I remember at the end, that was, yeah. he had his white protagonist uh, embrace uh, some sort of black character and so but forth. If you're, but if you're asking me, do I want to read uh, 30 books by the guy who worked at the record store or the one that went to Harvard? I'm reading the one by the guy that works at the record store. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's, totally. it's, well, it's, it's like, so, okay, so... So, so okay, I'm, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting into the weeds now. You're trying to wrap your head like, around. But I feel like that's an interesting. The, the class thing's interesting. I mean, it's always been it's always interesting, not in the way that it's a, a cudgel, but I think in terms of like who gets who gets included and who gets excluded in terms of not the quality of their work even, but certainly there's Dick's excesses are not this is my this, this is this is very personal to me i guess right but it's my personal reading there's a kind of excess in dick that comes from the personality and from a from a from a worldview right from a from a from a psyche from an unconscious um and from his being that puts him on the edge of acceptability in the same way forgive me for this but it's like D.H. Lawrence being excluded from modernism, right? It, you know, Dick's fame is posthumous. Um, this is like, this is the, the idea of the working class person who's doing the authentic hard work, working at the record store, being vilified in his lifetime, not being successful against the, the privilege of a Le Guin or the privilege of an Arthur C. Clarke, you know, rushing up, going living in Sri Lanka 
or an Aldous right. is in Burma, right. you know, or a, or a Ballard even that's in. There's a certain amount. There's a certain amount of class recognition that applies to those writers in a way that still puts Dick on, and maybe Malzberg too. I, I'm not not entirely sure on the fringe in the way that, although they're central to the movement, yeah, I, arguably Lawrence did as much. Spinrad. All yeah, Spinrad too. Yeah, Spinrad too. Arguably, Dick is to science fiction um, it's something like what Lawrence is to modernism. You know, people don't take him that seriously. We don't always include him in the in the in the in the sort of canonical moments. He's a fringe figure. He's mistrusted. He's eccentric. You can't quite separate the the person from the art. Um, anyway, yeah. So that, I'll, I'll cut that cut that there well, because. I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and sure. I will say the level to which this last reading that I did of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, there are so many layers and levels of philosophical ideas that are in that book that are not on the surface that I was thinking about this yesterday because I got into an argument on Facebook last night about 2001 A Space Odyssey with somebody saying, there's no story and nothing happens. That movie's so boring. And I almost like pulled my eyeballs that? out. Because I was like, you, just because you didn't get it doesn't mean it's not there, right? And I, I think with you, Andrew- well, that, That's important though, we lose sight of the fact that, I constantly lose sight of the fact that every time Dick and Harry is assessing this, that, or the other uh, uh, with whatever ignorance they have, which is mostly the case. And uh, most people- you, David, you and James and I, all we do is fucking read. We've been reading for 30 years. Uh, we kind of know shit. Uh, most people in this era do not do that shit anymore. They're yeah, on their, and people they're on their and, Instagram and all that shit. This is yeah, we're a dying breed. Uh, and I know people don't like to hear that old man fucking shit. That is true for sure. Oh, no, no, there are people, and that's why people like tune into this podcast because they want these discussions and and yeah. And they will they will find us. There are people out there, but but here's the thing, and this relates back to galaxies because I think galaxies, and and I have to to bring it back. Galaxies is a book that I can see many people like just going no, five pages in. Totally, I don't. Who I don't need a fucking. I don't now? need an essay Dude, about who, science. What fiction. contemporary reader walking into Walmart would be interested in that? Like, who would be interested in that in, in any capacity outside of university class in which they were forced to read it? Well, you raise, an, you raise an important point. Do you want to finish your thought, Dave? Yeah, and I just want to say that <laughs> one of the reasons, I do think that that your average science fiction reader today can get a lot out of galaxies. I want them to go out there and I want them to read it. I want them. And here's the thing. I, David, what I, you, actually, hold on. Do you know who, because I, 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 my finger is not on the pulse of contemporary science fiction readers. Do you, do you have a sense of what people, is it like Lightspeed Magazine with John Jacob? <laughs> no, no, whoever, whoever that is, John, John, John Joseph Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, listen. I think the mainstream science fiction reader can get out of galaxies. What I want them, what I would say to them is that if you're going to sit down and read galaxies, know that you're going to be challenged, and you, in the first few minutes, you might not get it, and like the first few pages, you might not get it, but you got to keep after it and. Molesberg, warts and all, like for his era and everything that he's got going on, like there's some cringy things in Beyond Apollo, right? 
there's some sexuality that doesn't hold up very well to a modern eye or ear but i think what he was trying to say at the time and what it's, it's like you gotta check it out and you gotta give it a shot and the modern reader like has to know about these these books whether you like them or not and 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 well, i think for like for one thing like Le Guin, like Le Guin and octavia butler are all the thing now right and I think for good reason, I like a lot of work that both of them do. I know, James, you poo-pooing. Yeah, but... what? Wait, what are they all the... Nobody reads them anymore, do they? Except as historical feminist artifacts. Well, you'll be reading... No, you'll... Octavia Butler has a new show on, on Hulu, and trust me, it's going to get... It's going to sell you... He's dead! I mean, I mean, I know that the, you got the thing on Hulu. I, I saw it. It's pretty good, the, the, the series of Kindred. Yeah, yeah, but my point is, is that the modern reader, you know, might not, you know, I just, I just don't want to see authors like Maltzberg and Spinrad and those guys get lost in all of this. I think you, know, you have to contextualize yeah, we're keeping them alive. You have to think about, you have to think about, so here's what I would imagine, and I think has happened and will happen in multiple classes where you teach. If, if, if you were to teach Marlsberg, right, to, to a, let's say you have a, an audience that has immersion in postmodernity, which basically- You, you, have, you have, like, I've never experienced that audience at any university. Oh, no, 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 not, 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 in the, not in the abstract intellectual sense, but in the sense oh. of living, right? Oh. So we'll, you know, basically we live with the children of postmodern parents, yeah. right? Oh, so, so oh. Uh, whether they, whether uh, that is my situation there. with my daughters. I've never experienced that with other folks, but yes, go ahead. Whether we're theoretically there or, you know, this is the devil wears Prada argument, right? right? Like, there's the academia, there's the cobalt blue that is out there, then there's the then there's postmodernism as it's lived. So it's kind of harder for people to grasp Maltzberg pro today yeah. because postmodernism yes. is taken for granted. The things he's referring to, that the experiments, the, the risk is not perceived as risk. And I think that's probably what affects a lot of you know, readings of experimental literature in general is that, well, you get to write this in your MFA class because someone went to trial for it a hundred years before you, or somebody went through penury as a science fiction writer 70 years ago to give you the privilege in your class to take this for granted yes. and, not, and not think that it's difficult or experimental, but in 1972, 75, 68, 51, whatever, whatever the, the case in point might be. And, and again, you know, this, this, this is the, the Lady Chatterley stuff. This is the moment where it becomes, this is what's difficult about literature. We have a, a group of, we have a- That's a very, coming out as a film. A, a, very, a, very, com a very comfortable, I mean, including yeah. us, a very comfortable society that run almost no risk, you know, Rushdie accepted, of falling foul of danger in literature anymore. And this is what, you know, this is the, the literature, of, literature of exhaustion, right? This is like the novelty has become- But is it, isn't all literature make. exhaustion at this point? Nobody kind, I mean, it's easy well, to Andy say- Andy Weir is, Andy Weir is really uh, exhausting. Uh, uh, you know, very few people read- I but like Friday Tale Mary. I, history, I, very few did? people always read. I didn't that think. Always been the case. Yes, I did. I did. I, I. I. didn't. I understand that it's popcorn stuff. It's. It's yeah. the worst. It's one of the worst books I ever 
but that but that's I, actually what if you look at the history of literature, it. I, most, I'm not going to say it's literature, literature. popcorn. Jane Austen is popcorn. Uh, yeah. The Brontes are popcorn. That's all popcorn shit for a major uh, uh, literary audience, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but my question to you guys is like, geez, uh, and and honestly, David, as you continue with these podcasts, I think it would be interesting to uh, continue this discussion. It's like, uh, I don't know, I feel as if every year something is lost, but as Marshall McLuhan, uh, I am a firm believer in this, with every uh, uh, amputation, there is an amplification. So as much as we lose in literature, whatever it might be, uh, uh, something is uh, 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 taking its place. Now, uh, uh, you know, for my part, what I see, you know, it's more like uh, uh, screenplays and shit like that. I mean, that's, yeah. well, look, that, that is the contemporary literature, but uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, Hollywood finding this stuff is, is a huge part of it. And, um, and unfortunately that's just the, the, the reality of it. And, you know, but yeah, I would, I would love for the, 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 the type of literature that's written because a lot of people write literature now that is more adaptable to a film. And I get it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but, well, but look, I, I know, I know from speaking from example that, you know, when I wrote that article for tour about 20 golden age and new wave, um, I, I, I have heard from multiple people, people I don't know, but I've gotten lots of commentary where people track me down online and say, Oh, I read Spinrad because of your article. Um, right. you know, and, and I know that, you know, it's, it's funny because I, joke about you know i'm I'm not really a religious person but when you know i had somebody tell me you're doing god's work today <laughs> when i said i was doing a podcast about galaxies because you know this this person this old science fiction head that was talking to me online he was like is there an audience for that and i said well there's gonna be because i'm gonna make it happen because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it and let me say this there's a there's a there's a great to your point why galaxies another reason why galaxies is important is that I think that Malzberg is prescient in describing what science fiction will become. I think he has some knowledge of this. There's yes. a, there's a, there's yes. a, well, there's a, there's a specific example. And what the reason it why- It's become what he prophesied for sure. One of the reasons that's hard for me to get interested in a great deal of it today is that it's simply, one of the reasons Malzberg, Ballard and others are my kind of heroes in the, in the field is that they could do extraordinary amounts of work in 175 pages, right? Yeah. Not just, not just, not just, not just in terms of like um, this isn't just a class money word rate kind of issue. This is about what you could do with compression of ideas and intensity. And as, as a Malzberg, hater of long novels, even though I've written one, <laughs> well, uh, but as a talks, hater of long novels, I agree with you, James. I think that the ability to do a lot. The form, the form. Literary fiction is unbelievably bloated. Science fiction is unbelievably bloated. Fantasy is uh, to the point of a, of, a, of a needs some kind of um, fantasy enema or symptom. But Malzberg talks about this idea that once you've had this, once he has the idea for galaxies, he's writing about galaxies. He's thinking about the publisher who may may be the bureau, right? In the novel, the bureau yeah. may be the publisher. And the constraints of the idea of the genre that he has this idea about science fiction becoming like proust and he actually says um he references some hypothetical book called like recherche pas du space age 
right? This massive fucking tome of endless, um, endless iterations of ideas that a simple idea take can can create. So it's basically yeah, it's a reference to Proust's you know, in search of lost time, right? And how science fiction shouldn't become, shouldn't become this, right? Shouldn't become. Um, I'll watch it on TV, but there's absolutely no way you will ever get me to 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 spend to read the Expanse or to read to read without skipping. I mean, I read when I was I read Dune, the Dune saga stuff when I was a teenager, but I, I'll tell you, I skipped many pages. Right? Yeah. It's it. These are bloated Proustian artifacts where the bite of Madeline. Hey James, can I ask a, a corporate entity that is measurably um you know seven, between 700 and 750 pages each time it's corporate doorstop books and as, speaking of somebody who held at fullerton the dune manuscript in his hands he cut out a lot really <laughs> he cut out a lot good. good there's a lot of red pen in what you actually seen um and some really hilariously silly stuff i took pictures of some of it i'll i'll have to dig it up but well, through Dave, to, to, to the point that we got to earlier about Dick, just to defend Dick and, and Marsberg when Marsberg is also kind of, you know, in his ordinary prose voice as well. I, I had the same experience with, with going back to Dune years after, you know, decades after reading it. And my, for better or worse, um, mostly better actually, um, my vision of the novel had been lynchified, right? So it had it had a kind of, um, here are some Giga leftovers and some some darkness to it. Um, it's still got the great stuff that is left out. It's still of um, a lot of the interpret of the new movie. It's still got the you know the the latent the the almost incestuous homosexuality, the drug use. It's still a very kind of decadent book. But Herbert again, Herbert's prose when you read if you try to return to Dune as an adult is thin, right? Thank it's, you. It's thin, it's, it's thin and explosive. Lynch fucking uh, 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 elevated it, uh, uh, but he was constrained by production uh, uh, bullshit. Uh, uh, but at the same time, even that new new Dune, it, it looks real chic and is, I think, nailing it. But uh, I'm with you all the while. Uh, um, I have some things to say, but David, go ahead. No, I just, um, you know, when that article, when my tour article came out, um, uh, I, I don't know how it looked for uh but tor was the is the publisher tor essentials of void's captain's tale and um i did talk to somebody that, that they saw a, a they i've know through the grapevine that void captain's tale got a got a jump from my article like people were buying it okay. now at, in relation to that one of the reasons why is because i said it was a better anarchist novel than the dispossessed but it will never be called such right yeah. and and um like, you guys read possess i've read it multiple times i've been on a podcast about it. i actually yeah, yeah no. um i would highly you like it it's so boring dude I, uh, um, anyway, yeah. I like it but here, <laughs> i mean jesus christ uh... i don't see first of all i i admit i i like that kind of science fiction sometimes really? so it's not my favorite that doesn't come on fiction but listen, I well, here's the thing. And yeah. I will say this. I was on Hugo's there to cover um, The Dispossessed. And it was right after my Berkeley trip. 
And yeah. a lot of people think that it's the best podcasting I've ever done was breaking because I did a lot of the well, uh, well, that's cool. down of Dick and, and <laughs> Well, yeah, I know, I know, but I and but you I, were into it, yeah. I am into the book, but cool. here I have a specific reason why. I mean, I got into it partially. Remember not liking you that much. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Le Guin, that the dispossessed is an anarchist 101. So if you here's the thing, I think she wrote a master class in anarchism with her novel called Always Coming Home. Always Coming Home is a better anarchist novel. It is an almost it's like the Cimmerillion. It's almost unreadable fantasy novel, right? high price but the politics <laughs> right. in it are really awesome and mm -hmm. i see what she was trying to do it's just at the same time like all right i see what you're trying to do but i'm not sure i mean i feel the same way about uh bruner's crucible of time now i need to reread it as an adult but when i read crucible of time i was like wow this is insane this but is I mean really weird what you're doing i don't fully get it Maybe someday I will. Everybody, everybody we're really, knows. We're really sprawling a bit. But everybody yeah, knows like, the left hand of darkness, right? Left hand of darkness. That's her most famous by far, right? Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, by, like by far. Uh, Dispossessed is a second. Left hand of darkness, great book, very innovative in its era, so on and so forth. So boring. I mean, I must have read that book fucking 20 I, times. I, and, I and don't find cool. it boring, it's but. Like, all right, I get it. It's good. Uh, uh, but, you know, I might as well be reading sort of nonfiction and stuff like that. It's I fun. would guess, I would guess to this interesting thing you said about the anarchist stuff. Yeah. Um, I would guess that the ones who walk away from Omelas is one of the most um, anthologized short stories, the Gwyn story, right? Yeah. Um, but it's. Which one? Sorry, James. Which one? The ones, the ones who walk away from Omelas. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You, I don't know. I, I, I pronounce it that way. Um, uh, but essentially, it's a great it's a great idea by William James. Yeah. But oh, and she was pulling from James for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, she, and it's got the epigraph. It's it's fine. This is a great idea by William James. But hold on. It's, it's, it's I don't want to. Did you guys? I don't want to come across as if I'm uh, bashing Le Guin. She's really important. A really important science fiction writer and a uh, feminist science fiction writer. She's fucking awesome. It's great. It's just uh, uh, fucking boring. Sorry. <laughs> But By the way, the ones who walk away from Omelas, um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds basically remade it as an episode of Star Trek this last year to the point where people were like, the Laguna estate should sue them. Um, no, William James, William, the William James estate that wasn't pre That's what I was going to say. Laguna <laughs> deserves every bit of accolade she's ever gotten. Uh, don't I'm not, I'm not, well, first of all, I'm, I'm definitely not anti Laguna. I just, I just personally find her less interesting than dick it, as as, i can't kidding? not compare them when they graduated from the same high school class at berkeley <laughs> it's hard for me not to compare them um, right. for that reason but all right to tie it back to so we know that the voice captain's tail got this bump because i partially because i made the comparison to the dispossessed so what's what's the way we can sell people on galaxies what's the thumbnail that we can do for people that like what do we compare this to what do we you know to bring this home like um i feel galaxies is the meta commentary on science fiction that i think that's what's 
you know, I think the idea that you start off with a 13 page essay about science fiction and then it sort of morphs into like a surreal story is such an amazing thing. Um, I'm glad I didn't have it spoiled for me, but I don't think I don't think you can spoil this book. I think even if you know what you're going in, going into with it, it's it's going to be like a, a really amazing experience. I'll give you a concise explanation of why I published it, and then James, you you go ahead. ahead. It's very short. So so Malzberg, as you say, David, absolutely uh, is reconnoitering uh, in his era the science fiction genre and making commentary on it. I still think it persists into the 21st century and is absolutely as relevant now as it always later. In terms of what, especially in terms of what would be science fiction authors, uh, I have no idea what uh, people are doing now who are in, who, who are pursuing careers <laughs> in right. science fiction writing vis-a-vis certain publishers. I have no idea what that's like. I have an idea of the landscape of the small press and the academic press. Beyond that, I don't know what the fuck's going on. The only other thing going on really are other small presses and the big six. So there's not much else going on, but whatever. It seems like there was more going on in the 20th century, especially when Malzberg was out active. But nowadays, not he's still not just relevant as a, an historical artifact, but frankly, uh, for the condition of the science fiction genre as it applies to human ontology and the human condition in the 21st century. That's why I'm really interested in that. And That's I, a I really concise fucking, man, I don't think I skipped a beat there right now. Yeah, no, you did no. very good. No, and Thank I will you. say, and I can't believe we got this far into it, but it was originally published by Pyramid, and we didn't talk about that, oh, but really? Pyramid was a sci-fi imprint spun off of a, a an erotic book line so oh, yeah right because he used to do that too he just wanted the you know he was geek. yeah because they were like this erotic i can't remember the name of the publisher but they did they did zap gun that's why I, i'm familiar with it but that they um i think his name was don benson was the editor they hired from uh they took away from uh one of the other sci-fi lines and then they were like here start a science fiction line and like one of the first books they published was Zap Gun, and they bought, they were paying for outlines, and that was like a big deal. So, so uh, uh, the alternative between uh, the 20th century and Melsburg is a uh, yeah, 21st century and Lana Rhodes and uh, uh, other uh, uh, really wonderful porn stars who provide men with lots of. Uh... <laughs> but seriously, there there was no fucking internet in the 20th century, right? Uh, 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 people relied on that text and whatever, uh, you know, penthouses they could get mended anyway, they could get their hands on. Uh, it's a completely different sort of, I don't want to say toxic, it's just different. Uh, uh, actually, the, the, there, there's more potential now than there's ever been. It's just uh, uh, weird to think about the science fiction genre, particularly Melsberg, in this context. I, I don't know what he thinks about it, but in any case. James, your thoughts? I think, I think, I think, is this in, maybe I wrote this in the intro to Beyond Apollo that I did for you, um, but. That's I right. Think, I think right. Galaxies is the, yeah. I think Galaxies is the best book about having an idea that exists, right? So 
it's not just the idea of metafiction. I think it's like it's it's a it's a great it is that it is a great book about having an idea. And I think also that just get back to the um, this notion of of sexuality. You know, maybe maybe Malzberg's background is vital to like other new wave writers that sort of followed um, followed. I don't want to call it yeah. Well, more followed mainstream literature, right? Followed mainstream literature. But um, you you met Malzberg, right? Malzberg was able to write about sex in the way that Gernsback didn't want anybody to do. But like, you've met him, right? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. No. Well, you've uh, seen him. Is it? Yes. And I know, David, you have. This is about sex. You don't want to picture this dude having sex. So, oh, so, so, so it's so. It, I mean, no offense to you, Barry. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Uh, you know, he's. Not... <laughs> it's too Sorry, late. No, I've I've seen I've seen I've seen it. Um, All right, go ahead. Sorry. Or whoever this simulacra <laughs> might be. This the, the Barry sex simulacra. It, 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 Barry, you're, 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 you know, if you ever listens to this, you're, you're, of course, we all love you and your prominence. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to see any of you guys having sex either. You know what I mean? It, it's like, uh, but at the same time, it's in some of those books, he's very, you know, he takes it to a, a place. Frankly, James, you don't take it that far, and I don't think you do either, either, David. I don't like writing about sex; it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, I usually. I, even Not when even I write people. it, a lot of times I cut it in the second draft. Well, well. Um. <laughs> no, I, you're, you're, uh, James, I've read all your shit. There's not that much sex in there. Sorry. Yeah, but it's the it's the intensity, not not the <laughs> right. You build the intensity. It's the quality, not the quantity. Right. Like, exactly. But but no, Maltzberg's <laughs> important. You know, Maltzberg, if he hadn't been known generally to to folks like us, and I guess other people as Campbell Award-winning science fiction writer could have been in that group, should be in that group of people like Borges and Burroughs. Absolutely. That, that allowed people to look at science fiction afresh, right? He just happens to be doing it from the inside. And he's doing it from the inside because he's read, because he is he's he's an he's the he's the, the inside, the outsider inside, right? So Dude, he, he has, is the Borges quality of science fiction for sure. But he has that quality that is so anti-Gerns. Gernsback's, you know, admonitions against sex were the worst things to happen to the genre ever. Those early editorials, they, they basically turned, they created the juvenilia of science fiction. Gernsback's own hang-ups right. about that. Thing. I'm so glad that in our first issues, our readers weren't interested in the sex appeal type story, right? That he was setting himself away from the pulps and other, other literary forms that actually embraced sexuality as well as technology. It took a long time for that to come around. To, well, it took until the new wave, essentially. You know, and Malzberg is critical. science fiction. Terry yes. Boucher. Malzberg yep. is critical in bringing Boucher. back, as he says in Galaxies, actually, he's kind of critical in bringing back those things that are existential, those things that are visceral, those things that are um, literary, they are... Um, of the body, of the of the general of a, of a general sphere of literature, um, not treating the genre as a second class genre. Of he took science fiction seriously and saw what he could do with it, and I think that's the most that's 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 his that's his great accolade. David, so why, why? I have one I have one silly. Wait, go ahead. 
I was just going to ask what prompted you to do the uh, invoke this podcast. Uh, uh, was there something? Uh... Uh, well, I'll get there in a second. But oh. uh, but what, what I will say is that, um, well, Barry mentioned, uh, we should also mention Horace Gold and Galaxy Magazine because Galaxy Magazine was really important too. And that was Barry's favorite. That was mm-hmm. PKD's favorite. That's why his cat was named Horace. Yeah, he didn't love the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so they they those two editors... Tony Boucher and and Horace Gold like really changed, like undid the things that you're talking about, James. Same thing with Alfred Bester too. They were contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like the, all these voices are really important. So here's a funny way that I would sell people on on Maltzberg. And one of the reasons why I kind of had the idea to, to do this, I just had a hole in my reading the other day where I was like, I hadn't finished, like I'd, I've been reading this book that's been a slog called Sense of Wonder. It's very good, but it's been it's about the first um, Amazing Stories contest winners from the 20s. And it's a cool book, and I'm going to do a podcast on it, and I think it's a really good thing, but it's unprofessional writers like that were winning these contests, and I was having I was just kind of slogged down by like, I, it's a cool thing that I'm reading, but it was just kind of, I just wanted to read something short, quick, and kick ass. And then I just looked at my shelf and saw galaxies and I said, now's the time. Um, and now's the time and I'm going to do it. And I basically read it in two sittings and, you know, I had a great experience, yeah. but getting back to a couple of weeks ago, uh, we briefly hired at my work. Uh, I work with kids with autism. We hired an out of work English teacher to you come in. What do you do specifically? Like, what's the? Is it? I work school? with. I, I'm just a paraprofessional with working with kids with autism. I've done it for 20 years. So, yeah, uh, yeah I work with the, the the high behavior kids. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, oh. and uh, but for whatever reason, we we hired this guy. Who was You're like a good person. Is that is that correct? His what? You're like a good person. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but we hired this guy who, by the way, was interestingly enough, was the son of a baseball player pitcher. Yeah. And he was a, he just got a degree as an English teacher. And the very first day we're talking, um, I just, he's like, Oh, what kinds of things are you into? And I was like, Oh, well, you know, I do a science fiction podcast. And then he was like, Oh, I've read all kinds of Philip K. Dick. And, you know, he's this guy who's just a totally normal dude, English guy and he'd read like Valis and man of the high castle and whatever and he was talking about how oh i love that kind of weird science fiction and my pitch on reading maltzberg is when you read maltzberg and spin red you can be like oh yeah that's cool but you should read barry maltzberg and you'll right. look really cool when you're like yeah BKD, he's weird, he's cool, but you know what? There's this way weirder, yeah. more punk rock guy, Barry Maltzberg. So that's my joking way of saying that's something. If you've never read Barry Maltzberg, being able to 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 take people like that and say read Spinhead and Maltzberg is really yeah. fun because I did talk him into reading Beyond Apollo. And his reaction was... People should read that before Galaxies. Uh, They're not going to... Galaxies is like for a seasoned uh, reader of Malzberg or science fiction in general. If you're going to start out with something, you should read Beyond Apollo, yeah. So after this conversation I had with this guy, and I said, well, Dick's weird, but there's a lot weirder out there. Just don't think he's the weirdest. Um, And then he was like, oh, that's interesting. Who's weirder? 
I don't know like, though. For a mainstream, like prolific writer, nobody's weirder than Dick. Like, yeah. like as prolific as he was. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the look on the guy's face after the weekend where he read Beyond Apollo and came back <laughs> and was talking to me about it was was money. <laughs> it was great, and it was a thing of. He like, had some ideas money money from you. So I'm giving you a goofy real world like way that you can like be the cool kid because you're the cool kid when you tell people when you've read Maltzberg, you're the cool weirdo. Yeah. Like yeah. they're they're like the people who just know Dick are like the people who only know Justin Bieber for music, right? Like I know it's not that drastic, right? But, but beyond Apollo, an example not- would be somebody who's like, yeah, I li- I know the Misfits. I'm punk rock. I know the misfits, right? <laughs> Done. Right? Done. What's the landscape going to look like in 10 years? I mean, where's Philip K. Dick going to be there? I mean, eventually they'll continue to manifest his movies via cinema. Uh-uh. But I don't know. I mean, you know. Well, and hopefully, hey, as I said in the Kyoto, man, we all live and die and are forgotten, even the best of us. <laughs> all right. So that's my last question. Then we'll wrap up. I know I've taken a ton of your yeah. time. Is how would you? let's say Hollywood did come to you and say like, I want to make a Barry Maltzberg. I want to make a movie out of galaxies. Somebody, some crazy person was like, I want to make a metatextual commentary. Would you make it about science fiction movies in the same way? This is about novels. Like Maybe. that's that, and, and here's the thing, the easy narrative. And I know I said this in my book review, the easy narrative thing, the thing that makes Maltzberg kind of special in this is that, like the typical way to do this is you'd start this off as Lena's story and it would be a twist that it was a sci-fi novel instead of starting off with the notes. Right. And maybe that's how you do the movie. Right. Is you, is you, Uh, David, I'm happy you invoked this. I know exactly what I do. Okay. I want to hear it. Well, I That's what I would do. I would start it off as a science fiction. I, I combine galaxies with Apollo. I would maintain a certain, low level uh um you know those two narratives who gives a shit what happens i'd come up with some sort of coherent uh plot and then uh, uh i'd invoke uh barry's bullshit absurdist bullshit and have it erupt here and there uh from both of those novels uh, and be meta uh, and uh, i think it would be great uh, i could write a screenplay that i think would be compelling and so on and so forth nobody's interested in that shit uh uh, uh anybody that thinks i mean as the uh, as, as the owner of a tv pilot of three stick no, exactly i agree unless unless i was going to say you have actually i mean it all matters on your it doesn't matter how great your idea is ideas can always be tweaked i have an idea to uh take a shit <clears throat> right <laughs> uh, uh uh that's my idea that's my pitch how can we tweak this to make it more interesting i mean that that's everything you I don't want to tweak it. Contact where you can do that, David. Right? Don't yeah. you have a contact where you're doing that with the Ubik script? It's not. It's a three stigmata. Yeah. The three stigmata. Excuse me. Yeah. What, right. Once you get a, I mean, that's all that matters. Uh, then you develop shit. It I haven't been super public yeah. about it until this These moment. Ideas matter <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you can edit. Your man. core proto ideas. Who gives a shit? Uh, no, all... no, 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 no. I mean, I think that's what you. For me, the reason why I would change it just slightly and, and and do it is that I think you need you need to 
you have to remember the audience of people that are sitting there and the people who look at the screen and say, of course, of course. I mean, you're, that, that, you, you have to think about the people that watch 2001 and say there's no story. And then you, and you start from the, you start from the aspect that you start from the aspect of, of doing a straight up science fiction story. And then you end up with Barry Maltzberg as a character sitting in his office typing and talking to the camera about like, well, we could do this in this movie, right? Because right. science fiction movies do this. And then and then you have grumpy old man writer as a character. I'd fucking love that. I would love that. I would love that as a movie. But of course. But, but the thing is you could be you could be as clever and on point and resonant as you want. But of course, you know, it, it goes to a producer or this, that, and the other, and everything changes. Uh, you you have no autonomy. Uh, well, you could make galaxies for a super low budget. You could. You could. Because with we graphics the way that they are today. Three of us could do that. Why not fucking give it a shot? Who knows? Uh, well, maybe someday I fucking will. Maybe I, think, I will. I don't I'm think, serious. I've got to be honest. I don't, I don't think, unless, unless, because you know, yeah. I'm friends with James the, is yawning at us. He's no, I'm not yawning. No, I was, I was trying to. No, listen no, to me. He lives out in New thoughts. Mexico. We can go out to New Mexico, get like a Kubrick-looking fucking uh, vastness, and, and uh, walk around nude. We could, we, we could uh, manifest this Philip K. Dick uh, think, novel. We could get it done. I'm not so, kidding. I mean, you guys know that you I'm guys know either, there was a there was you know, the, <laughs> Beyond Apollo has been in you know, a form of pre-production for a while, right? With uh, they, there's oh, a I, I know, you know, I'm quite I'm quite good friends with the the guy that was working on that. And I think the issue is that it's boring. Not Nothing his, happens in the book. Not uh, his film uh, not his film in particular. Because the bros in the inner space. That's, well, that's with, with with these with either I would be interested in trying to take that on and trying to write it from scratch or to see it and see. But James, James here. Hey, Solaris can happen. Beyond Apollo can happen. Exactly. But James and I can yeah, write but a, that was a different time. A, a that was a different way time. better screenplay than that bullshit. But that was a different time. And the, there's the no, name. It's the name that matters. Yes. There's, there's no. There's. And, and you too. I, I don't see. You know. I don't see a. I don't see anyone. What it would be is that anyone that takes the people that would have it's going to be a blanket statement. So forgive my generality here, but those 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 ideas that were um, you know, '60s and you know a, a rare instances earlier, ideas yeah. like this now turn into everything everywhere all the time. They turn into like frenetic multiverse stories, or they turn into sentimentality. There, I don't know if there's space for this kind of space. Like, this is what I want. So how, I, I'm wondering how if, frequently do you see slice of life stories, let alone slice of life science fiction stories? That's what Malzberg wanted. That's what I found interesting about him because he was saying, you know, it doesn't. I don't give a shit about the. This isn't the quote from Galaxies, obviously. It's a paraphrase, but I don't, I don't, why does everything have to be about the end of the universe? You know, I want to know about my characters. I want to know about the kind of things that motivate us in, in the present and are existentially relevant. But I don't, you know, I don't think there is a, I don't know if studios are capable of handling this material 
at this point in time. And I don't think audiences, in terms of film, I have, I have no confidence that film could handle, um, you know, you could do you could do one or the other. You could do something, maybe you could take the JFK stuff from Destruction of the Temple. You could do something with that. You could do something with uh, Guernica Knight and the kind of, you know, it would, but it might become Logan's run. But, you know? but no, you know, look, and we had a situation, I had a situation last year where, and I'm not going to name names, but uh, you must was, name names immediately. Who are the names right but, now? Well, oh. we were working on 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 a classic science fiction work for a little while with me with with a team of people, and I had all the people on with Andrew and uh, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, gonna say hey, but we were talking about. I had gotten all the production James, people. James, how do we get this fucking guy to tell tell us we, the name? I, we had all the production people willing to go with our vision of how we were modernizing the story, and then we had to go interface with the author, the classic author, to get the rights. And like, you know, you can get one side all on your on your side, and then the other side, the author's oh, like. Yeah, I man, you know, look. Everybody's a pain in the ass. That's human. It's a pain in the ass because you can. <laughs> it's like either you get the studio and the production people to see your vision, and and a lot of times you can't get both. It's hard. It's hard right. to get both. And we came. You know, we had people lined up ready. We we had a we had a project that was ready to go, ready mm -hmm. to go. All right, and David. We, let me ask you this. I, I want I want an answer from you and from James. What do you want to do? What's your next like really big project that you're excited about? James to and James after you. Well, I mean, I've got my book from Clash coming out next year. Um, what is the book? What is the book? Explain it's called it. The Last Night to Kill Nazis. And really? yes, it, it's already been announced. And it's um it's a World War II men on a mission book with a vampire. Um, through Clash. It's a vegan, um, a vegan doubtless vampire. No, 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 he's not. He's, <laughs> but look, look, the look, the 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 thing about um last night was which was interesting was it, it just started as a joke with a friend said to me like um every movie he said so I said some movie would be better with a vampire. I was joking, and he no. said every movie would be better with a vampire, and I said that's definitely not true, but World War II <laughs> on a mission would be and and I had the title and everything, and the next day. But, but anyways, did you get into True really Blood? At all? True Blood. Uh, what did you did you like the series? Uh, no, I'm not a big fan of that one. But no, my focus on that book was to write. I wanted to write a World War II Men on a Mission book that would work if there was oh. no vampire, yeah. right? Because I'm a big fan of Guns of Navarone, um, Where Eagles Dare, like all that shit. Crash into the Why a Vampire. Uh, because it's a popular genre you like what you can do just i don't know the idea just came well the idea just came to me through that conversation and then um really for me the the impetus of the book was i pictured a jewish commando getting a phone call in the middle of the night and him answering the phone and then saying hitler's dead grubles is writing the surrender we have to go now we have to kill as many as we can right now right and that the vampire was, was a metaphor for what for for the message you want to convey vis-a-vis -vis, uh nazis well that's I, what i'm trying to get at what is it you want to say you know what what I mean? I, well i want to say i i've been angry about the rise of anti-semitism in the modern oh, okay. world are you jewish oh yeah 
Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I went with Clash on this book, it was important to me, is both Lisa yeah. and Christoph are, are Jewish. So, yeah. it, like, for me, a huge part of this book was I wanted to write a Holocaust revenge novel for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was fun. Um, and, you know, seeing the rise in all this, and a lot of times people, if you're not living it, you don't see it right and and i Uh, definitely yes nobody knows what they're doing until they're faced with it head on right and i and i specifically you know you know i have my step uh brother and my uh sister-in-law they they they're part of the jewish community that was attacked in poway here when they they right and and so i've had that kind of simmering uh, with me a little bit and that's kind of where the, that that novel came from. But anyways, that doesn't seem like to I don't know you you don't seem like a, 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 a you know Jewish Jewish. Uh, uh, no, no, I, my dad. I don't get the sense that you. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's no, like propaganda. No, my dad, my my father was 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 uber Jew. Um, yeah. and, I mean, and honestly, I, and I all, get with it. all respect, I'm saying I just that. don't have a lot of experience. You know. I, James, you might have more than me. Uh, ain't no Jews in rural America, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't have that much experience. Yeah. Well, no. Ob- what, what are you? Ob- obviously, on, this is I, a good. This is a good because I did want to ask this. Like, what have you? I been prefer Jews on? to non-Jews, but whatever. Uh, moving on to me. I, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, what are you working on, James? Yes, James. Um, I'm working on um, non-fiction projects. Thank you, James. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. It's been great. No, sorry. No, uh, go ahead. <laughs> James is working on actually a, a, a presumably a, a book for me, but go ahead. Yes. Yeah, that's that's in progress. That's in progress. Um, so a science fiction book for, for Dr. Wilson. And, um, but I'm also writing a um, non-fiction piece, non-fiction book, piece, book, um, called Wilhelm Reich versus the Flying Saucers, which is the um, about the last seven years of the psychologist and experimental biologist's uh, life and his engagement in the deserts of the Southwest with flying saucer. Right. I know, right? Right, so, um, but it also has a lot to do with science fiction as a genre and the influence of um, media, the influence of movies and how they can, um, how we, well, to the idea of reading um, a bit of Larry Rickles, he talks about this with, with um, Philip K. Dick, the idea of introjection, those things that we kind of consciously or unconsciously take, word for attach to the ego, attach the ego, and then project back out into our reality to shape it. So I'm using science fiction, Hollywood film, um, in a real sense of what happened in Reich's later years is in in influencing his ideas and practices and the idea basically is that it's it's not a it's neither hagiography nor hatchet it's basically a compassionate look at the fact that well if you think these ideas are eccentric um look look inward these are the kind of these these are the kind of ideas that might occur to anybody with the same experience so i'm attempting to fend off some of the idea that well okay great psychologist and then became psychotic i don't believe reich was psychotic at all so i'm making that case well yeah that sounds very fucking cool and i want the the project i'm 
currently working on is my nonfiction book about PKG. But the next one coming out, that was the difference. What I was dude, uh, James, uh, James that sounds amazing. And I, I can't wait for, 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 is that your first nonfiction book or is no? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah be first, mine too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, I actually had one in the, in the works as well for anti-Oedipus um, on um, ecology and science fiction film, which yeah, we're going we're gonna to swap that still, for still hanging around um, in the world. Who knows whether I'll finish that. I'd like to finish it, but um, yeah, the, in terms of fiction, I'm, I have a, um, a more, well, who knows if it's, if it's mainstream or Malzbergian um, science fiction effort that, that David has. Um, yeah, where I take the, I take the, the generation starship um, idea. But the the thing it. is, with, with James, it's uh, uh, I'm such a fan of his writing. He's always on point. Here's the thing, though, uh, um, David. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, I'm interested in uh, innovative writing via Anti-Oedipus Press. Uh, 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 it's always great. But uh, uh, there are certain authors who make themselves very difficult to work with. And no matter how diverse they are and how great they are, it doesn't, uh, who gives a shit? Anybody that makes uh, uh, waves, I mean, has no, get out of this industry. Make a friend to reject, right? I mean, right. You, you must just embrace and, and Fuck rejection in the ass. Uh, rejection is your your friend. You're you're going to have to deal with it your whole career, no matter how great you are. Yep. Uh, and you but, can't take it personally. You can never yes, take it personally. I, I mean, uh, but it, it's weird. Like you know, all of us are veterans at this point. Whatever we, uh, uh, whatever anybody else says, you know, forget about big six. We've been around. I mean, David, come on. When 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 was it that I saw you in Chicago? 2008, uh, seven? No, it was uh, 06. Remember? Yeah, yeah, we did a reading together in 06. Yeah. yeah. So, hmm. I don't know why. Here, here we are still together. Uh, uh, the people that are still around are the ones who are going to hang around. And uh, trust me, I've seen tons of people that have fallen off to the wayside. And yeah, that uh, was my first out of town reading ever. So, when, when was this? That was weird. Did you fly in there? Well, I went. I was going home to Indiana to see family, and I went through Chicago. So. Oh, you're from right. That's right. But you yeah. were still living in uh, Portland, right? Yeah, I was living in Portland at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who cares? I, I'm not trying to. Uh, no, and that was my first. That was my first chapbook. So I mean, like. <laughs> but the more the more I talk about literature, it doesn't matter in what context. The more I realize, like, okay, we're getting older, and that's fine. Uh, I, I'm not trying yeah. to romance size or you know i'm not gonna announce my you know everybody's announcing everybody's deaths and uh, uh their ailments and stuff forget it who gives a shit uh, uh but it, it is uh interesting in terms of the currents of literature and, and our industry and things have changed they really have changed uh i don't want to what i find myself doing like malzberg is becoming more of a curmudgeon and just like fuck this fuck that I don't want to be that person. I do want to try to keep my finger on the pulse and see what's going on and try to uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, um, not intellectually, but uh, in a, yeah. you know, in a clear and coherent way, articulate at least what I think 
uh, uh, what's going on in the industry. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think it's important that James and you in particular do likewise, right? I mean, well, I think, what, I think what's interesting, David, other David, like you are, how do I put, I, put, I want to put this in a, it's not the right word. I want to get, I want to pay you a compliment, right? But you are, <laughs> Give it to me. You're very positive. All I do is get beat down. By I'm very positive. Well, you, you, you have. I think you have an, you have an openness to stuff, right? And Everything. I've, I've seen your, I've seen your um, post recently. Like you, you are, a, you are a defend, defender of the faith of Star Trek, Star Wars, and recently the Avatar stuff. You, you have an openness to Absolutely. people think I'm being paid by James Cameron because I've defended <laughs> Avatar so. Much. Dude, and I've seen that. I haven't seen oh, the film. Oh. I'm sure I'm gonna love it. I mean, who could fucking? Uh, I don't care what you want. You can't discount that shit. Well, for that's for me. That's the thing. Like, I can nitpick the movie. Like, there's I have little problems here and there. Well, hold, hold on. Let, let James talk. We gotta, we gotta, Go that's ahead, James. Other thing. We got to get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I am a defender say, of the faith. Yeah. You say. Yeah. Well, no, I just mean that you. You know, you have a. I mean, I said it. You have you have an openness to things, dude. You, you're much if more. I, if I find people that are good writers or editors that I like, I love them. I die for them. Everybody else can go fuck themselves. I'm really mean. <laughs> I, seriously. I think, I think I think David is host. David is receptive to <laughs> the spirit of things in a way that I'm not. Absolutely. Right. So and I admire that because I I when I I, I remember I went to the cinema, got the glasses, saw um, Avatar, the first Avatar at the cinema, and I was the young. This is not a badge. I'm you know sounds like fucking bullshit but i hated it and yeah. i came out right. and a guy said wasn't that the most amazing thing you've ever seen and i said no i hated it and right. everyone around me was like, are you are you kidding how could you not like that and so i, I won't see the new one because I, I i didn't i really despised the well, old wait, one i'm uh, assuming you hated the 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 story not the style you can't argue both, with the style both, the story, both, the story is bull the story is ridiculous both. I didn't well, like and I think the story in the new one's better. It's but that's but not no, no. Much. the style. It's not like what I'm looking for in movies, but it did. There was a, a an instance of innovation that I'm assuming there will be an instant instance of innovation when I see the way of water, whether fuck it is. Beyond that, I have no interest in and um, James Cameron. Again, David, you and James and I can tell better stories than James Cameron. It's it's easy to tell good stories, right? None of us, well, I can speak for James and I. We're not interested in telling good stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, I like no, telling I good stories. I, I will admit that. I, I would love to have what other people want. No, I, admittedly, you don't write a World War II Men on a Mission novel with a vampire if you're not trying to get some kind right. of storytelling success. And I'm not saying i'm not and here's it's the not thing. a critique of you by it's not a critique of people doing right this, right and i that. i appreciate what i appreciate what james is saying and 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 i i uh you know I, I, look i it's funny how people like get on me on the the avatar thing i some of it's a joke because for me because i just got annoyed by how much how cool it became to to bash Cameron. Yeah, but and I Avatar. know. I'm so there was a degree that I was being a little punk rock. I know I'm like, like it. 
fuck you. I'll, I, I, I'll like what I like. Oh, yeah, it's not judgment. Yeah, and and as far as like with Star Trek and Star Wars and those things is like, yeah, I grew up on that stuff, and and I understand. I can understand when people are like, I'm not into that. That's not that the kind of thing. But for me, that like I like balancing the kid at heart with with right like the See, intellectual. That's, that's... That's what I think. That's what I mean about the openness. Like I think you, James you, and I are shithole elitists. Uh, <laughs> uh, we expect everything from really? it. You um, know, right? Well, right. you know, Maltzberg, Maltzberg thought that Star Trek, you know, which is one of your passions, right? Was he? I mean, he he, he didn't shit on it. But he said it was kind of benign, right? Yeah. I think he said something like it, it led people to believe that science fiction was more popular than it was, something like right. that. Although it could and be. And Spinrad wrote wrote to had one produced right. uh, but he, you know he was definitely definitely less of a fan of well to put it mildly of, of star wars but yeah yeah i mean you know and star trek was one of those uh proving grounds for all those short for all those short stories that became screen yeah and look if i could write a star like wars if i could you know like look for people like you know who get those mainstream success and then they can turn it into promoting these like less mainstream things that they love. I would love to have mainstream success as a writer. So I could turn it around and, and highlight Barry Maltzberg and Norman Spinrad and so on and so forth. You know, we'll see how that turns out, but at the same yeah, time, like the, the openness, no one realizes. Yeah. But, but, but the thing <laughs> about it is, is that, um, that the thing about it is, hey, David. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking forever. I know. I gotta. I gotta clear it up. I gotta. Yeah, we could go on forever. Um, is that what you're telling no, me? No, you're good. You know what we should do. You know what we should do. We should get all of us like in a room with Malzberg. You know what I mean? Uh, do you, you ever get? Think he would do a Zoom with us. Do you think he has the technology down? <laughs> no, That's no, my no. Worry no, with no. We, we got to go to Teaneck, New Jersey. That's where he's at. Oh, go visit. It's yeah. not far from me. But uh, I don't know. Are you are you going? Are either of you going to uh, uh, SoCon this year in Pittsburgh? I, the only time I'm the next time I'm traveling is I'm going home to Indiana in in, uh, in March. But I'm not traveling before that. Dude, tell me when you're here. I'll come see you. I, I, yeah, I, absolutely. Where, where are you going? Uh, Bloomington, my hometown. So, like, so I go to Indianapolis to bang broads. All the time. <laughs> so, so I should just. I oh, mean, that's, we're that's, still. That's the same. Uh, it's like an hour and a half from where I am. So definitely, when you're there, let me know. Yeah, sure. no, I went to Wright State. Remember for a year, so I know where you're at. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. come on, you're you've been out in Portland for years. So. <laughs> San Diego now, San Diego now, but oh, you know, well, you, it's funny you, because you, uh, you're, uh, you're wait, 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 you're in San Diego. Yeah, I'm in San Diego. Live in San Diego. Yeah, since uh, 2014. Does your wife like make uh, three hundred grand a year? I mean, that's fucking. No, expensive. we live in a very small place, San Diego. That is um, expensive, San Diego. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. Never yeah. you know, living in the Midwest, it's very cheap. <laughs> yeah, literally, right. it's. Now, I can tell. I, I can tell. Professor Wilson has had a couple of those ales at this point. I have. We're, 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 let's. Uh, Let's tell the folks how they can find you. Because yes, we're still recording. Um, starting with David. Uh, I am. 
What am I? My name is D. Harlan Wilson. Uh, uh, that's my pen name. Uh, we're talking about Barry Melsberg. I'm the editor-in-chief of Anti-Oedipus Press. I have, uh, through the that imprint, uh, which is an imprint of Raw Dog Screaming Press, published four of Barry's titles, among them Galaxies Beyond Apollo, The Falling Astronauts, and nothing else. So three instead of four titles, yes? Mm -hmm. I, I thought you were going to do the men inside at some point, weren't you? Or is that uh, the, the next one that I would like to do is Hair of Its World, uh, okay. which is even more meta than Galaxies, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yes. Then yeah. uh, semi uh, a bourbon ale rant. Okay. <laughs> and James, I want to know where to, where to find me. Um, I mean, well, if you really. If you want to buy me a drink, I'm in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, you can yeah. find me roughly at jameswrightbooks.com. Um, I think there's some reference to the stuff I've done there. Um, you can find that book there, Song My Enemies Sing. Awesome book. And which is, well, it has, it's, it's a, adjacent, so um, pay tribute to Terry Hall of the specials because the song My Enemies Sing comes from an old scar record um not by the specials but um but yeah it's a, it's a, a sad week this week to lose terry hall um but you can find me at jameswrightbooks.com um nowhere where books are sold um i have a <laughs> occasional uh bi-weekly substack jameswright.substack.com <laughs> where i write about i know um ecology and psychology in no particular order occasional forays into science fiction there too um yeah but yeah please say hi if you are in the vicinity awesome all right well thanks everybody if you made it this far you're a trooper <laughs> uh, and, uh, i'm going on i'm going on yeah i will uh after we stop recording i'll spill the beans but uh you know <laughs> i uh i had to uh i had to be a little more disciplined <laughs> so uh on that note folks thanks for listening and uh read maltzberg i think the next one i'm gonna read i, I definitely want to read the gamesman because this is the one where he said he was riffing off solar lottery and dedicated it to phil and um if you've hmm. heard my interview with barry maltz oh and by the way yes I, I interviewed barry on the dickheads podcast so you can hear me talking to him when I knew a lot less. And I, when I re-listened to it last night, I was like, oh my God, I know, I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> because I'm much more did, learned now. And, did we talk on the phone or a podcast about Beyond Apollo years ago? Uh, we talked on, it's on the Dickheads podcast. It was, um, uh, it was a, a- Dick adjacent or something. Yeah, Dick adjacent. It was the double Maltzberger, we called it, um, where I had the interview with Barry and then our Beyond Apollo commentary. So yes. I did, I did, I did a Dick adjacent with uh, uh, Bester. Uh, Bester, yes. So you were on twice. So you've both been on Dickheads. James was on once, yes. not Beyond Apollo. You're very proud. Thank you. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, David was on for Alfred Bester. My star, my star, uh, my and lies ink, lies ink, and lies ink, which was, um, that's not true. Lies ink, and that was enough, uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Wilson, 
Um, I have now seen the manuscript. So a lot of the questions we had in that episode uh, were answered at Fullerton, um, whereas where it stopped and started and it was too much of a puzzle to, to I still don't fully understand even after looking at the manuscripts, which was crazy. So, uh, honestly, David, it's cool you do this thing. I mean, a, a lot of these, uh, and you seem to tap into science fiction scholars who can hang, like like Lee, Lisa, for instance. Uh, Lisa uh, Yazik is amazing. Yeah, uh, there, there's a few other people who can, you know, are very colloquial and stuff. I mean, a lot of nerds out there, but I don't know. You you seem to find the folks who have uh, <laughs> focus and uh, I love of... putting together a panel. I do, um, and. Like some of the ones that one I would recommend to people is the Vallis one with one of Phil's best friends, Bill Cyril and uh, um, and Tessa Dick. Uh, I definitely think people should listen to that one because that that gets into the like minute to minute of things that happen with Vallis. It's pretty sure, cool. That's going to be like an archival thing. I mean, Tessa ain't going to live forever. You know? I yeah. mean, it's good that you had a conversation with her. That's important. No, and Tessa's great. She's very supportive of dickheads. So I can't say enough about how cool she's been about things. Um, and whenever I have a question about when something's dated, uh, she always answers right away. It's very cool. So you guys want to go to SorkerCon in Pittsburgh in uh, June? Um, I could think about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that All right, be, I'm going to stop the recording. Be, yeah, next year. See yeah. you, folks. <laughs> <laughs>